and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we talk about them. I am the fiancé. Are you used to saying that yet? I am, are you? No, not at all. That was really weird. <laughs> um, no, I'm used to it. Yeah. I think, you know, for two weeks now, that's literally all we call each other. I've forgotten what your name is, to be honest. Mm, just fiancé one, fiancé two. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because we're not doing the stupid spelling thing. Yeah. The logic behind the two different spellings of fiancé escapes me because it just seems like gendered nonsense to me. It does. So we're just fiancés, however we choose to spell it. Yes. That's not what we're here to talk about today. What are we watching this week? Miss Saigon. Yes, indeed. Specifically, the 25th anniversary production Mm -hmm. from the West End. Yes. Indeed. So this would be 2014? Yeah. Yes, 2014. Yeah, because this Ish. came out in 1989, you told me last week. Mm-hmm. So this is a year older than I am. Yeah. So I'd have been celebrating my 24th anniversary <laughs> when they celebrated its 25th. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about it. Yeah. I feel like I've read controversy attached to this one before. Mm-hmm. But I, I know nothing about the plot. I feel like it's a tragic romance. Do you, well, it's based on Madame Butterfly. And I don't know the story of Madame Butterfly. I have seen not the opera or the ballet, but I saw a, I don't know what you call it. It was a ballet, but on ice. It was like an ice skating performance of Madame Butterfly. Yeah. But it works like a ballet. I'm sure there's a word for that. If there was you would know it more than I would. However, it was amazing. It was really, really good. And the plot of it conveyed through the dancing and everything is incredible. Cool. But you don't know anything about it. I know nothing about it. There's one very famous thing that people generally in the world of theatre know from Miss Saigon. And that is a uh, one specific set piece. No. Okay. Cool. I, I don't, so that's I more don't... exciting because when we get there, you're going to be like, what? <laughs> or I'm going to be like, oh, hey, I've seen this on Family I did Guy. know this before. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. You are going to know some of the things in this from Family Guy. But yes, we are watching the uh, September 2014 25th anniversary gala performance where they did the whole performance of the show and then at the end brought out some of the original cast to sing a couple of the songs as well. Okay. Which is very cute. Where is it performed? Was it the Royal Albert This is in the West End. Just the West End? At the Prince Edward Theatre. Ooh. I I recognise the Prince Edward Theatre. I should tell you where it is. It is in Old Compton Street. Yeah, it's where Mary Poppins is currently playing. I don't know anything about this. This started life as Madam Butterfly. Mm -hmm. Is Madam Butterfly a book? Madam Butterfly is an opera by Puccini with basically the story of uh it's based on a short story okay by John Luther Long which was based on stories that his sister would tell him when he was a little boy and it's basically about a tragic love story i'm trying really hard not to tell you anything about it what do you think it's about madam butterfly i really don't have any idea i couldn't even tell you puccini his version went on to become, obviously, the very famous opera that is still played to this day. Yeah. However, the version 
that became Miss Saigon is by Claude Michel Schoenberg and Elaine Bobil and Richard Mulvey Jr. So Schoenberg and Bobil, you will know as the creators of Les Mis. Yes. Yeah. So this is very similar in style. Yeah. Sung throughout the whole way. Yep. Designed to tug at your heartstrings. Yep. Are there going to be characters that I find incredibly boring that you're going to try and defend, like Cosette? No. Are there characters like Eponine? Where I'm there are like, significantly less characters in Miss Saigon. Okay. I keep wanting to call it Madame Butterfly because we've talked about that now. How did that work? So if Miss Saigon mm-hmm. and Madame Butterfly are still both performed to this day. How is Miss Saigon seen in terms of, you know, like the, the opera crowd? Do they see it as beneath them? Uh, Has so- there ever been a controversy just about that? Because Oklahoma, I think it was, you told me was inspired by an old play. Mm-hmm. That play you don't hear about anymore. No. Oklahoma has become the definitive way to tell this story. Yes. So the difference between Madame Butterfly and Miss Saigon is that Miss Saigon is only loosely based on Madame Butterfly and it adds in elements of real life historic events and is based a lot around the fact that Schomburg found in a magazine one day a picture of a Vietnamese woman leaving her child at the departure gate of an airport in an airbase yeah. um, to get on an airplane to the US where the child's father, who was an ex-GI, would be in a position to provide a better life for him. And he saw that picture and read the story about it and looked at the story of Madame Butterfly and was like, this would be a really good musical. So is this set as close to modern as possible? Like, is this set in the it's 20th set in century? It's set in 1975. So during the Vietnam War. Yeah. Okay. I had an idea. I Perhaps I'm confusing this with The King and I. I felt like this would have been older. You maybe are thinking about The King and I. Yeah. So I thought that maybe this would have been set a lot further back in mm-hmm. history. So this is kind of like... Well, this is how they've updated the Madame Butterfly yeah. story. So this is like what Les Mis does, setting it against the backdrop of the French Civil War, mm-hmm. that Ma- uh, Miss Saigon is setting this story against the backdrop of the Vietnam War and kind of the consequences Yeah, of this culture. is set very, very close to the end of the Vietnam War. So it's set in Vietnam? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I don't know much about the Vietnam War. I didn't ever study it. And if I did, I've completely forgotten it. No, I don't really either. I know that it's... Everything I know about it comes from this musical. Yeah, I I know that it's seen as... I mean, no wars are good, but it's certainly seen as an avoidable war that America was never going to win. Yes, and that is touched upon in this show because some of the imagery that we will be looking at in the musical is based on other images that Schomburg came across when he was doing research for this. Okay. And there are direct, uh, what's the word, tableaus yeah. that are based on photographs. Cool. Okay, I like that as an idea that it's 
like here's my inspiration mm. mm-hmm. i'm gonna have this build up to this moment and have this poignant image for you to think about yeah cool so opening the west end uh at the theater royale on jury lane in... that. that's where we're gonna be going next week for school rock no for, for frozen frozen yes I know when we're seeing things. I'm not in charge of our schedule. Yeah, this opened in 1989 and closed after 4,264 performances. Oh, wow. Yep. Because I know that I'm talking to you, and we'll talk more about the Theatre Royal, I'm sure, next week for Frozen, Mm -hmm. but that's one that always feels to me like it's it's become a launch a big show here, see if it's successful, and deserves to have a permanent residence Mm -hmm. in... London, as opposed to this, where it was as close to a permanent a residence as as possible. Yes, so it ran there for nearly 10 years. Oh, exactly 10 years. It ran from 1989 to 1999. Yeah. And was directed at the time by Nicholas Hunter, with staging by Bob Avian and scenic design by John Napier, who we love because he did the scenic design for Cats. Les Mis, Starlight Express, Sunset Boulevard, Jesus Christ Superstar, Gone with the Wind, and a whole bunch of uh, Royal Shakespeare Company performances. Cool. That does lead me quite well into my next question, mm-hmm. that when we watched Jesus Christ Superstar, it obviously dealt with issues from that time period in the biblical times, mm-hmm. but modernised them. Does Miss Saigon do the same, or does it look like the time period it's set in? It is definitely very clearly set in the 1970s. And it's important because, like you say, it is around the end of the Vietnam War. So this is actually... a time. So it's not like what Jesus Christ Superstar did where, you you know, you have the Che Guevara-esque t-shirts and you Mm -hmm. have, like, modern apparel. It's designed that it will always be set in a specific time. It's not one where we could modernise this. I say modernise this because it's only what 30 40 years but it's not designed that you could have it in 2021 using 2021 brands and clothing it for this show to have the impact it has it has to be set Mm -hmm. against that backdrop of the vietnam war yes okay so getting into some of the controversies to do with this show when the show opened they made a really big deal of searching for an Asian actress to play the lead role, whose character name is Kim. And yes. they found Leia Salonga, cool. who we love. Yes, the, Princess Jasmine. And the singing voice in Mulan, yeah. and, you know, just like every other... Yeah, like, uh, absolute. <laughs> she and, and in Les Mis, mm-hmm. a phenomenal Absolute voice. powerhouse yes. of musical theatre. She won an Olivia Award and a Tony Award for this role. Wow. Yeah. Did she... So, so did this... It then moved to Broadway. Moved to Broadway. So yeah. it originated in the West End, moved to Broadway. She went with it. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. There is then a character called the Engineer, who is sort of our main focal main character. This character, his name is Tran Van Dyne, or Din. I cannot remember how to pronounce it. I'm always wrong. He is half Vietnamese and half French. And he's described as being Eurasian. Now, when they cast Leia Salonga, people thought, that's fantastic. They actually are going out of their way 
to do accurate casting for these characters. Yeah. No. They cast the engineer as Jonathan Price, who is a white man, um, who then went on to also win an Olivia Award and a Tony Award for this role, which then got tons and tons of backlash because there is no reason why this man should be playing this character. Jonathan Price. Yeah. P-R-Y-C-E. Mm-hmm. As in... Elizabeth Swan's dad. Let me look, because that I didn't even think. Villain to in see who Tomorrow he was. Never Dies. He's in a Vita. Yeah, Jonathan Price. So he's playing the engineer, yeah, I can see that in nineteen ninety. Yeah. Best featured actor in a play for his Broadway debut role in comedians in nineteen seventy seven. So he's a big deal mm-hmm. for these roles. Mm-hmm. Best actor for me, like one in ninety one. Yeah. Wow. You wanna know what he wore? Uh, I don't want to know. I'm gonna tell you anyway. He wore eye prosthetics, and also tanned up basically to play this character to make himself look more Asian. It wasn't only him; they also did this to other actors. However, as the main male character, it's him that I'm gonna. So talk he's about. the lead character. The lead male character. Yeah, Leia Salonga is the lead. Kim is the lead character. I think this was going to be a problem. I think I knew this was going to be one of the key problems when this show opens because there's so much in this time period that Mm -hmm. that is seen as acceptable. You know, and obviously not just with Asian representation, but if you go back as far as Breakfast at Tiffany's, it's it's okay. And, you know, obviously uh, Gandhi... Sir Ben Kingsley, who wins an Oscar Mm -hmm. in a role he has no place doing. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you for why. This caused a lot of outrage in the theatre community. And the reason why it caused a lot of outrage is because when the show was going to transfer to Broadway, the Actors' Equity Association refused to allow, allow Price to play this character because in their union, you are not allowed to do that. You cannot Good. cast white guys as Asian characters anymore. We are past that point. Yeah. And this is 91 that it transferred. So they just straight up refused to let him do it. They wrote, people wrote letters of protest against his casting, said that the show would be like fought against if anybody was going to do it. American critics had seen the show in London and knew that it was transferring and they wrote about how his performance as the engineer was completely demeaning to Asian people because he has no place playing this character. So the executive secretary of the American Actors Association said that the casting of a Caucasian actor made up to appear Asian is an affront to the community. Casting choice is equally disturbing when the casting of an Asian actor in this role would be an important and significant opportunity to break the usual pattern of casting Asians in only minority roles because he's a big character in the show. So there was a ruling on the 7th of August in 1990 that led to a change in the way that you are allowed to cast shows. And it meant that nobody, even in the British Actors' Equity Union, association could be cast against their own 
race. Good. Which is great. Yeah. And the show threatened to cancel as well. Not only on Broadway, but in London. They were going to close both the shows if this ruling didn't go through, despite the amount of pre-bought tickets that had already gone through. They were willing to give all of that money back to make this change. So this controversy actually changed theatre for the Mm -hmm. better. Yeah. It's one of those unfortunate catalysts that we shouldn't have needed something to prompt this. Yeah. But does, I guess, leave a legacy of good in its wake that because people were so outraged and offended and and realised that this was not acceptable, it prompted change. Yes. However. What is that going to be a however? There's a loophole in this clause, unfortunately. Okay. That means that you don't have to audition for a role if you originated it wherever it was originally released. And because Price played this character when it opened in the West End and he had star status and had already won an award for this role, he was allowed to open on Broadway in the role of the engineer. So it's all for nothing. dumb. (laughs) I can completely understand the idea of... I, I, I completely understand the idea of, hey, you originated the role. If we're going to transfer this from Broadway to the West End, you don't need to audition. Yeah. However, that doesn't mean you should have the role. It just means we know what you're capable of. You don't need to audition. Say you're interested, we'll audition. And then if no one compares, you've got the role. For instance, Mm -hmm. Beetlejuice. Yeah. I really want to see Alex Brightman as Beetlejuice. That is never going to happen. I know it's never going to happen. But in the same way... There's rumours that it's going to have a revival and be filmed. Yeah. Now, whether or not he wants to do that, up to him entirely. Mm -hmm. But if they were going to cast a fresh new cast for it, there's a part of me that thinks it's really fair for him to just be like, hey, I want to do this. Yeah. Now, if Jeff Blim auditions and they decide, actually, this is our Beetlejuice, fine. Yeah. Absolutely fine. Just because you originated the role doesn't mean you get... Priority. Priority. Mm -hmm. But I do understand the logic of you shouldn't have to audition. Yeah. Because we know what you've done. We've got got enough evidence to say you are right for this role. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that's it. Cancel the auditions. Yeah. Here's Alex Brightman. He's going to be Beetlejuice. Well, there was actually a sort of lesser controversy that came out a while afterwards because obviously that was the big deal at the time. Yeah. But people were a little bit upset when Leia Salonga transferred from the West End to Broadway because she's Filipina yeah. and not the enemies. And the AEA wanted to give priority to its own members and they were going to prevent her from reprising her role. No problem with Price yeah. <laughs> over here. But, you know. Um, however, the showrunners were unable to find a, re- a satisfactory replacement for her at the time and said that they wanted her basically but it sort of falls into the category of okay we'll look like we're looking for somebody else but we still want her to do it yeah and Lois Long was fantastic double standards isn't it for men and women unfortunately (laughs) yep see I'm fine with like blind casting Mm -hmm. like if the right actor for this role is all right 
we're going to see Frozen next week. I've looked at the cast. I know for a fact yeah. that the actors playing Elsa's parents mm-hmm. are people of colour. But obviously Samantha Barks, who is playing Elsa, mm-hmm. is not. Yeah. Why does that matter? It doesn't matter. If they're the right people for this role, who cares? But I think the difference is when you are specifically representing, like when the story hinges. On the race and on the place that this is taking exactly. place. Exactly. Yeah. You know, in the same way, if we were, uh, is it once upon this island? Once on this island. I don't want to see white people doing once oh on this God. island. I have, I have seen, it was a high school performance of once on this island that I saw. Yeah. And they were doing the accents. Yeah. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see stories like that being told from people who don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, High School Musical, if there's to be a High School Musical tour, I don't care who gets cast in it. Yeah, it it's isn't irrelevant. important if... Uh, and I know that obviously Gabriella and Chad are not white. Oh, actually, yeah, I am going to argue with this because the fact that Troy and Gabriella are an interracial couple on the Disney Channel was really important yeah, at the time. Yeah, but if you still had a white Gabriella and a non-white Troy, you keep that. Mm, I think that's different because of how much culturally it was important okay, at the that, time. Right, fair enough. But in the same way, so the other one I'm going to say is Ryan and Sharpay. Oh yeah, irrelevant. Irrelevant. We will know that they are siblings. We'll know that they're twins. It doesn't matter if you mm. cast... That's the whole thing with... The Wonderful World of Disney Cinderella yeah. doesn't matter. No. It was a good time. I as long it. as the storytelling is clear, it doesn't matter who you cast for it. Mm-hmm. Audience are clever enough to read between the lines. Yeah. If we are set in a fictional universe where it is like, you know, Arendelle, yeah. fictional land based on a real world place, but it doesn't matter. No. Like, cast whoever you want. Exactly. And but it doesn't if you're matter. actually setting this in Vietnam... Then it needs to be. And if this is the story of the Vietnamese people, then it needs to come Mm -hmm. from appropriate cast members. Yes. So that's one of the big controversies. Are there (laughs) any more controversies? Yes, I have a list that we're going to get through. So the second one is when it first came out, people protested this show because it was important for Vietnamese people living in America, that people knew the actual story behind what was happening and not the Madame Butterfly revised version that they were getting in Miss Saigon. And In Madame Butterfly, do you mean? Madame Butterfly revised is Miss Saigon, basically. Okay, so I'm really confused by what you've just said. It's important that they... So this play is important because it's important that they knew... The real story. But you just said that wasn't... In the revised... Madam Butterfly revised. Yeah, so it was important that this wasn't seen as Madam Butterfly revised. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense now. For the very specific reason that it was considered that the way that the female characters were shown was a very big racist and sexist stereotype for the way that Asian women are treated in media as the sort of subservient, here to serve your master's, stereotype which does show up in this show and has never been revised and also it was important for people to be able to look at it 
and know that this was not aimed at Vietnamese people. This was aimed at white people. And that's who they expected to go and see this show. We're supposed to go into this show on the side of the Americans. And learn as the show goes on. <laughs> Hopefully. However, if you go into this of the mindset that the Vietnam War was a good thing. You're not going to be turned. You're not going to learn anything. Okay, so we're going in from the perspective of uh, the Americans thinking that Vietnam is this evil communist hell. Sure. But we're going to learn through our time in Saigon that actually it's not what it's been painted to be and we're here for the wrong reasons. That's the intention. That's the hope. Yeah. Okay. However, as a predominantly white audience, they're not giving you enough information to actually look at it and say, oh, these are stereotypes and I'm supposed to learn something from this. No, because if anything, not all you're enough. going to do is see like, oh, hey, this is the stereotype of a Vietnamese woman. And we're just carrying on with that. And oh, okay, that I guess that is what they're like. Okay. Yeah. So it's not perfect. No. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair controversy. Anything else before um, I change my mind and say, no, let's not do this. Well, my favourite quote from a review of it said, if you're a white woman seeing this show, you should be outraged because this play pits white women against Asian women for the love of a white man who is not important to the plot. You should be outraged that it does that because we should all be working together to create a safer space in theatre. Which I agree with. Yes. So the version that we're watching has Eva Nobuzada, who is amazing. She was very, very young when she was cast in this. I believe she was 17. Wow. Yep, a baby. Um, playing the lead role in the show. And she is currently... I actually don't know whether Hades Town has reopened or not, but she is. she's Eurydice in Hades Town. If that's how they're pronouncing it, I hope. One day I'll get a pronunciation. You'll get right. Yeah, one day. I try. I try really hard. The amount of retakes we do where I try and pronounce people's names. But then we have John John Briones as the engineer, who is a wonderful actor, born in the Philippines. Hooray. Cool. So they actually went out of their way to try and cast Asian actors in these roles. And this cast is said to be one of the better casting choices and Avla Noblezada actually got a lot of fame from doing this performance. Cool. Awesome. Yes. Oh, she was 21. There we go. She's still a baby. Awesome. Yeah. I I I I feel like this is going to be a really depressing musical. Oh, yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> I feel like this is one I'm definitely going to take breaks through. Just you two. Uh, that's us, fine. It, this is going to be a heavy musical to watch mm -hmm. and a heavy musical to discuss. And it's probably going to be a long one. But I'm hoping it's, it's like what you say with the Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff that is better when we can watch modern versions of it with where, you know, the, the stuff that hasn't aged well has either been revised mm -hmm. or at least is staged in a more palatable way. Yeah. You know, by the sounds of it, this cast has got it right. Mm -hmm. And maybe there'll be, maybe the stereotypes will be less apparent 
Yeah. And the performances will be more subtle than if we watched, you know, the 1999 version yes. or the, the 1989 version with, mm. with Jonathan Price. Because I, I guarantee if, if we watched that, as much as I like him as an actor, that would make me want to turn off. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's time mm-hmm. that we settle down to watch a musical. Yes. Very excited. Before we do go, what is your history with this one? Are you a fan of this one? When did you first see it? So I was obsessed with ice skating as a child. I took ice skating lessons and I did a bit of ballet. I wasn't so into ballet. That was a bit too structured for me. I was that child. And one of the things that my family did every year is we would go and see something on ice, basically, at christmas kind of time yeah and one year what it happened to be was a sort of compilation piece of the great love stories so they did this really like incredible version of madame butterfly as an ice skating piece but they also did like dracula and superman that was a good one and uh, romeo and juliet and adam and eve like those kind of stories as figure skating pieces and madame butterfly was the longest one in the sequence, it was like a 20 minute performance of it as just a short ballet. And I was so taken by it. And my mom was like, oh, there's actually an opera about that. I'm pretty sure there's a filmed version of it. So she put it on one day when we were at home and I sat and watched that. Probably had absolutely no idea what was going on. I was like 10. Yeah. And then I think it was actually my drama teacher at school who was like oh yeah there's this musical called miss saigon i was talking about it and i looked it up and saw that it was based on madame butterfly and i was like oh cool i'll go and watch that and i watched a really old rubbishy filmed on a smartphone but like the original smartphones version of it on youtube and thought that just the way it was made was amazing and that the set of it and the set design and the props were incredible. And it was one of those things that really got me into looking at the behind the scenes stuff of theatre cool. more than the acting side of it. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully I will be inspired the same way you will be. Yeah. We'll have a more productive conversation. <laughs> I've seen Miss Saigon. Yes, indeed. We'll be back after the intermission. who knew much more I never felt confused before why me what's your plan I can't help her no one can I liked my memories as they were but now I'll leave remembering her and we are back Yes, it's been a whirlwind. We've returned from the 70s. Yeah. Scathed. 
Very scathed. I normally say unscathed, but we're pretty scathed from this But one. not because this one's bad. Like, where I might say I was scathed. No, it's more that... going into it knowing that they cast a white dude in some of these roles. Yeah, but we did. We luckily watched a show, I think, that has got the casting spot on. Yes. Personally, I think if you are going to watch a version of Miss Saigon and you don't want to go to the theatre to see it, watch this version you can buy it on amazon like yeah. it was not i got it as a birthday present but it's like four quid on amazon yeah it's the 25th Watch anniversary show from london's west end mm-hmm. i think they've done a good job with making it movie watchable but also yeah this is a pretty definitive version of the show but you know again i think the casting is very good as well that it's not anything that and i, I could be wrong here mm. you know uh obviously this is not our platform to speak about but but... on the outside looking in it doesn't feel as harmful as had we watched jonathan price which we did after watching this show i was curious i wanted to see his performance and it's not okay yeah well one of the things that is on the dvd version of this is because it's the anniversary performance they had the original cast come out and perform some of the songs with the new cast and so they had Jonathan Price perform American Dream yeah with John John Briones who is the engineer in this version and if anything it just makes it really noticeably worse what I'll say is at least and maybe I've got this wrong here but from looking at it it didn't seem like Jonathan Price is wearing the prosthetics. No, so because it's the anniversary one, like Leia Salongo isn't dressed as Kim. She's just there as herself. Jonathan Price is there as himself. Yeah. Can you imagine if they'd have put him in the outfit? That would have been terrible. See, this is the thing. In terms of the engineer character, there is no way that you can adjust it to make it fit for a white man. I I tried thinking about it. Could you repurpose this as a guy who has gone to make a life or an ex-soldier who is staying a bit. Yeah. But, you, but then you have the issue of he wants a visa. And if he was an American or uh, a, a British man, he'd have a visa. He'd be able to leave. Yeah. So even that... Not even... He wouldn't even necessarily need a visa. Yes. Because he would be a white man. He would be able to go to the embassy to so talk to him. There really is no way to... Get around it. Get around it. Not that I'm trying to. I, I wouldn't no, no, want to. No, real it, bad. This is how it should be done. But I, my, my, my other question to you, before we go into talking about Miss Saigon, mm-hmm. this is very depressing. Yeah. And obviously this is by the same people who did Les Mis. Mm-hmm. Have they ever done anything that's not depressing? No. Everything's pretty depressing. They always, there are some very clear um, themes that show up yeah. in all of their shows. There's always one or two characters that are the comic relief in this it's the engineer obviously you have the but that's weird because the engineer is the main male character yeah and yeah. that's not what you usually expect from comedic relief characters no but we need somebody to play off of kim because her story is so tragic mm. we need somebody lighter around yeah for the whole show whereas in les mis because we're following it's more of an ensemble piece but like here kim is the main character yeah and the engineer is our next lead because he is there the whole time. Yes. He's around her the whole time. 
Chris really is non-factor in a lot of it, which surprised yeah. me. Yeah, like really surprised me. Mm-hmm. Considering it's their love story. Yeah, that, but that... he's instrumental to the plot, but not as important as the engineer. It just it's it's weird to watch a show because I've never seen or heard of anything else by the makers of Lame Is. Mm-hmm. But the parallels between those two works are so similar. Like we're dealing with prostitutes and selling yourself to to make a living. Mm -hmm. But we're also looking at big moments of upheaval within societies and very, very depressing arcs. Yeah. And I find that really, really interesting because... Andrew Lloyd Webber, I've joked about this when we talk about his shows. I always joked that I thought he was the religious playwright yep. growing up because I knew he did Jesus Christ Superstar and Joseph. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought of him. And I was wrong. He's got quite an eclectic CV. However, almost every single one of his shows has some sort of reference to religion or religious overtones. I don't think School of Rock does. That's a Catholic school, isn't it? No. It's a private sure? school. Okay. But... In the same way that I, I, Sondheim, what I've seen of him, it doesn't seem like he's got, like he has the same kind of musical style, but the, the, he doesn't really have a type of story. No, exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of these shows that I, I'm like, huh. Well, Sondheim likes character pieces. He likes to think about people. But some of the shows you've shown me from Sondheim, I would never have thought would have been Sondheim based on my knowledge of Sweeney Todd. Mm. You know, like, or Sondheim, uh, Sondheim doing, I could see Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd being Sondheim and being his type. But then you show me company and that's completely different, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So it's interesting to see that I think this is one of the first kind of composers that I've seen something where it's two that are so similar that this is Les Mis, but in a different time period. Mm. And way more depressing. Yeah. I, I enjoyed Miss Saigon. It was definitely one we watched in two parts. Yes, we did have to take a break during the interval. Uh, it's very heavy. Acts one is long. I was looking at the the song list when we were going through it. Yeah. Because I sit and have the song list in front of me. And there's like 18 songs in Act 1. No, there's more. My notes go into like the 20s, I think. Yeah, 22 songs in Act 1. No, I've got 23 written down. So maybe I've written down something that is I know, it's because there's a couple of songs that are like half and half songs. Yeah. I think this version's very interesting mm-hmm. as well. Like, it's, it's very heavy to watch, but there's moments where it's very cinematic as well, and you wonder how much has been edited. Like, this one I'm watching and thinking... Where is the difference between, like, where has it been filmed on stage and where has it not been filmed on stage? So the obviously, whole thing is filmed on stage. But there's some things that do look more cinematic. Oh, yeah, and they've done that on purpose for this version of it. Now, first thing we see, we start with a photograph that started everything. A woman leaving her child to be collected by their American father yeah. and the likelihood is she'll never see him again. Yeah. And that's the photo we've talked about, that they saw that and thought, we need to share this story. Mm-hmm. In some versions, they show that picture on the projection, the projection screen. Yeah. Um, sometimes they don't. Yeah. It depends where it's being shown. And this opening sequence, we get the helicopter noise and we start with backstage Dreamland. But we also see 
kind of Kim's family and the soldiers and everything kind of being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that was shot was very much like cross-faded. You've got the projections of real-life images from the Vietnam War. And I, I wondered if that was a moment that maybe they filmed separately and then put on stage, but that would be done in the same way. Yeah, it's maybe projected have soldiers. onto the... I don't know what you would call it. It's like a screen, Yeah, I there's guess. a backdrop or something. But it's in front of them. It's yeah. like a sheer screen that's in front of them. It's projected onto yeah. it and everyone's behind it and the actors are okay. doing different things. Cool. No, I like I like it as an opening. You get this kind of frantic opening that mm. captures uh, the war. We're yeah. starting in the middle of the war. We're not setting the context, like, why are we in Vietnam? Mm-hmm. We're not setting the world. We're just saying this is a place of war. And then we go into uh, Dreamland. Yeah. And it's instantly far more lively, colourful, and we get references to who's going to be Miss Saigon. I'm thinking, oh, cool, we're straight in Miss Saigon. That's what they want to be. It's almost like this is a competition. It's almost like a Chicago, like vaudeville act, like one of them wants to be Miss Saigon. Mm-hmm. And then I very quickly realised, like, oh. Oh, no, this is a gimmick act. <laughs> they're all sex workers. Yeah. What is the the... What is the significance of the name Miss Saigon? Is it just like who's the most popular girl that night? They reference it later and they talk about the same thing a couple of times. Like the engineer actually says in Act 2 that that's the best gimmick he ever came up with. Yeah. It is basically the most popular girl that night who makes the most tips, I think. Most tips or most money, yeah. Yeah. Um, She wins Miss Saigon and then... All of the people who tipped her, their names are put into a hat, like a raffle. Yeah. And whoever wins the raffle wins Miss Saigon. Jeez. And gets to go with her for the night. And Gigi wins all the time. Yeah. They say that she's the 10th, it's like 10 time champion of Miss Saigon. It's a very weird title to give because like, it's it's such a throwaway line. Like it never really feels like it's more, I don't know what you call the show otherwise. It more important later on. I don't, maybe I, I didn't pick up on things. We'll talk about it when we yeah. get there, because I, I have notes of where it becomes important and how it becomes more important going on. But as they're talking, you know, backstage, they're throwing allusions to the Americans, and it feels like these women are hoping that, and even the engineers hoping that an American will take a fancy to one of one of them and whisk them away back to America with them. Yeah. And obviously the engineer is quite desperate, you know, to build up these contacts in the hopes that one of them will be like, yeah, we like you. You can come be buddy-buddy with us Mm -hmm. back in America. Well, we have John, one of this, uh, what do they call them, GIs? Yeah, the Marines, I think they were. Yeah. John is seems to prefer Gigi over any of the other ones. She's the one that wins Miss Saigon. And then he tips the engineer extra for him to win the yes. raffle, even though, you know, he it is basically all rigged. Yeah. Um, and Gigi actually says to him, he says how much he likes her. And she says, well, take me back to America with you. I'd be a good wife. And he goes to hit her. Yeah. Because he's like, no, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. Basically. We also meet the new arrival, which is Kim. Yes. And Kim the is the, the princess because she is a virgin. Mm-hmm. And you can see that she's very uncomfortable. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, what's supposed to what we're supposed to take from this is she's led to believe she'll be given a job as a waitress. Yes. And she's not. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I, you can see that this isn't this isn't like the Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. where these aren't empowered women who are here for their own to make their own money. Yes. This is the engineer is their pimp. He's taking all the money from this and is taking advantage of them completely yeah. and is pinning them along in the hopes that you will meet an American man and he'll take you away. Yeah, he's selling them this dream that isn't actually selling them the happen. American dream. Yeah. And it is very, very sad. And despite like the bright lights, the glitz, the glamour, there's a real horrible undertone to yes. this. And I think they capture it well. Mm-hmm. I feel uncomfortable for the women. Like, yeah, you should, because that's one of the things that is the most talked about in the controversy with this, is that it's, first of all, pretty sexist. Yes. Um, yeah. Because I, none of these women are self-empowered or wants to be here. Like, yeah. even if you had a few of them in the background that wanted to, like, this is the yeah. work that they're happy to be doing, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being a sex worker. Oh, no, there absolutely isn't. But this... The whole point of this is like, oh, fallen women, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this, this is not their choice. You you can see, like, especially the opening with Kim, he is picked on fragile women who have nothing else. Yeah. And this is, you do this or you die. Yeah, so basically. what do you want to do? What are you willing to do to survive? Yeah. And so. the other issue is that this is how Asian women are portrayed a lot. Yeah. Is that like, oh, you're either... A sex worker or a delicate flower who's a princess who needs to be saved by man. It's like, yeah. okay, sure, sure. We go to the heat is on. Yep. The Americans are all coming to blow off steam. We've talked about a few of them. Mm, yeah, um, so we meet John Thomas, who is... Uh, they they mention a couple of times that they're escorting... An ambassador. An ambassador for the US. Might be we like, never see this guy. No, but maybe what their job here is, they're not here to fight the Viet Cong. What they're here to do is actually try and help the negotiations. So looking yeah. after an ambassador. By the looks of it, their job is to protect the embassy. Yes. The police, essentially, but military police that stand outside of embassies. Yeah. If you've ever been to an embassy to try and get a visa, you will know what I'm talking about. Specifically, the American embassy yeah. is really scary to walk into because they have armed security outside of it yeah that's creepy but that's essentially what these guys are doing yeah so we meet john thomas he is trying to get his friend chris scott laid well and and this is what's really interesting is john is having a great time john loves it here you feel like he's in his element he's obviously been here a lot he knows Gigi pretty well chris is not having fun he really doesn't like it until 17 year old kim walks out and he's suddenly interested again. It's like that love at first sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, he, He's like walking and going, no, this is awful. I don't want to be here. He talks about how like he misses getting stoned where he could get laid whenever he wanted. And he hates this and he thought this would be different. And he's lost all interest. Goes to walk off. Kim is introduced and he's like, wow. Mm-hmm. And suddenly comes back. The thing with Chris as a character is he potentially has PTSD. Already, because this is his second tour. Yeah. And so he's got no... He can't feel anything anymore, he says. And he doesn't enjoy anything. He doesn't enjoy sex. He doesn't want anything or feel anything for anybody else, including John. He's really not interested in hanging out with John and or drinking or doing anything, really. And then he sees Kim and, oh, my God, perfect angel, save me. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we go to... She is a child. Yeah, we go to a movie in my mind. Mm. And this is a really nice slower song that I think juxtaposes the heat is on really, really well. That we've seen the American view. Oh, this is the most exciting world. You know, the the, the workers seem like they're into it and heat is on. Mm-hmm. But then we get Kim's version of it and their version of it. And suddenly the lighting shift, the change in focus, mm-hmm. even the workers don't look like they're having as much fun because they've not got an upbeat music to go to. So it's kind of like, here's the reality. Yeah. Which I, I thought was quite an effective choice. Uh, is it is it Gigi? Gigi. Gigi. She talks about how she wants true love. She starts the song, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But then it's, it, it switches to Kim. So it's kind of like the, the swap in. You're seeing that the, the new Miss Saigon kind of change before your eyes. Because Gigi's never important again after this point. No. But it's like she's the queen of this world, but she's passing the mantle almost. Yeah. And she so she talks about how she has all these ideas about what her life would be like and what the engineers kind of promised her. She'll go to America. She'll marry a white American man and be happy. They have loads of money in America, so she'll be taken care of forever and she'll never have to work again. And she has this vision. She talks about like how she has this idea of her husband and her kids yeah. and what her life will look like and that actually it's basically all just fictional. Yeah. That'll never happen for her. And then we cut across to Kim who despite being really young and not having worked in this place at all, she has exactly the same dream. Yeah. And she talks about how she's resigned to this life and she's trying to think about ways to make, you know, make it easier for her, you know, very much like uh, Fontaine would, Mm. you know, it's that same principle of just focus on anything else. Don't be in this moment. It's not something you're going to like, but your other option is death. So how do you get through this? Kim starts a riot. No fault of her own. I think it's interesting because I feel like they can hear her song. It's almost like, they, 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 they respond to what she's saying as opposed to what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And everything stops. There's a Marine who's very interested and is quite handsy. And Chris stands up and is like, no, leave her alone. She's not that sort of girl. And Chris defends her honour. And we go into the transaction. Mm-hmm. So the engineer is having a conversation with John, sort of saying like, hey, I'll let you off prices, but you've got to get me a visa so I can get into the US. And, and John's laughing about it and kind of dismissing the idea. Yeah. And he instead pays $50 so that Chris can have a night with Kim. Well, yeah, because it's um, $20 just to sleep with her. Yeah. And then $30 for a room and then 50 Yeah, because it's like there's night. a lot of business going on there in front of everyone else as well, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah it, it's not... <laughs> It's not a respectable place at all. Like, it looks as seedy as it is. Like, no one's hiding what's going on. Chris is quite hesitant about this. Um, he doesn't seem that interested. He refuses. Yep. But he does take her. I'm thinking, is this because he's just going to keep her safe? Like, he knows what else is going to happen. He he doesn't want someone else to kind of... He's he like, it's want... better that it's me and I'm nice to her than one of these guys. Right, yeah, exactly. Right, so 
at some point we're going to watch South Pacific. Yes. And I hate to draw connections between both of these shows, but the stereotypes appear in both of them of a man being like, I'm a nice guy. Yes. <laughs> and I might as well do this and be not, be kind to her. Yeah. Rather than somebody treating her horribly. Yeah. While this like child is sold to him. So this is it. Chris doesn't seem like he's actually going to make moves on her at this point. But it, it does kind of... Cut, but he's quite hesitant about the whole thing. He's like, I'll go and, you know, like I'll have a room, but I'm not going to touch her. Yeah, well, she says to him, they're dancing together. Yeah. And she says to him, I like you, Chris. Yes. And he's like, don't talk like that. I know you're being paid to do this. Yeah, because the engineer has said to her as well, as like, you do everything he says, you do not go near another man. Yeah, you don't leave his side all night. Yeah. Chris tries to give her money to run away at this point. He's like, look, here's everything I've got. Take it, go leave this world. You're too good for this world. But she refuses. The engineer interferes. Yes. Because he doesn't like that that's happening. Yeah, because he's going to lose. He's not, yeah. He's like, if you're not going to, Get with her. I can sell her to somebody else for more money. Yeah, because she's already now Miss Saigon because that's the most anyone's paid. Yeah, 50 quid, yeah. yeah. But ultimately, Chris does go to bed with her. So they go up to their room. Yep. They strip off. Mm-hmm. The lights fade down. And I was... She gets really naked. She does. Like, she must have something on. She... I assume she has... Pasties on. Yeah, but I was like, oh, those... <laughs> I don't know what other people call those. No, but there's, there's definitely, like, because we see from the back and there is no bra or anything on and there's no, like, bodysuit. Like, it is... No, she's got... There's, like, some side boob happening. Yeah, so... I was disappointed in Chris. Based on, like, how he'd been talking. I was like, I didn't expect him to actually go through with it. Yeah, it's one of those, like... Oh, but she's so innocent and so untouched by the world that maybe she can fix me yeah and i'm sure that she's just thinking what is happening yeah but that's what clearly is happening to him he's like oh my god this is this one pure perfect human and like i need some of that like he literally sees her as an angel yeah like she is his salvation Mm -hmm. so we go to why god why and he goes to leave. You see him British show and he goes to leave and he talks about how he was done in Vietnam. He'd given up. He was just focusing on the end until she walked into his life. Yeah, well, he literally has like two weeks the left thing, here. The thing is, he comes across such a privileged character yeah. at this point. Now, obviously, he's in a war zone. It's not nice. And he's. Mm. I know there's a lot of controversy with the Vietnam War where like, the recruitment for it was far more like... Sneaky. Sneaky, and you were sold a lie. So, you know, he, he's there maybe under the false pretenses. However, when he's talking about how bad his life is compared to Kim, who is, you know, selling her body to get by and has lost her family, mm-hmm. it feels so privileged. And, like, it does make you dislike the character a little bit. I'm I'm very on the fence with Chris at this point. I don't know what I'm supposed to make of him. Like, am I supposed to identify with him? Am I supposed to dislike him? You know? I don't know how you could. What? Identify or dislike him? Identify with him. There's, like, you'd have to have some really specific things. Yeah. It's very, very interesting as a character. Like, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where his arc goes. 
Yeah. He goes back and we go into the money's yours. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's like, look, just please go. Take this money. I don't want to see you going through this. She doesn't want his money. And she tells Chris her story and talks about her pain. And I like that. I like that he. you see him kind of humbled a little bit. We've just seen his side of the story. He's all like... He's oh. like, oh, my life is so hard and so difficult. And then she tells her story and he's like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, and I quite like that he does react to it. And then he's like, well, okay, how about this? You stay with me and we'll be together. And mm. you don't have to work here and you can be my, my, my partner. You can be my wife. Yeah. I don't know if he phrases it He doesn't it that say way. wife. He said, it's basically just like, I will take you away from all this and save you because yeah. you're so nice and so young. And then when we go into Sun and Moon, this is them falling in love with yeah. each other. And th- this is it. After just one night, they are very in love with each other. Mm. And we do get... Of course a, they are. She's 17. <laughs> but we do get a very passionate embrace between them as well. Like, Yeah, there's a lot of making out in this There show. is a lot of making out, which I don't mind... It just, it always feels very weird when you see this in theatre versus in film. Film is, interestingly, movie makeout scenes and thinking about the same sort of genre and age range and everything are a lot tamer. Right. And maybe it is just because it's happening in front of you and it's two actual human beings. But to make a kiss work on stage, you have to overact a lot. Yeah. So it has to be bigger. And, like, there's one thing between playing it for laughs or one thing between playing it like this is a very genuine moment. And I feel like when you see it in shows like this, it's always very much like it takes you back a little bit Mm. because the sheer passion and, like, you've got to do this every night, you know, for how many months? Yeah. And sometimes twice. You know, and this is a a stranger as well. Whereas, you know, with a film, you maybe shoot it five times in a day, but then that's it. Yeah. But this is so passionate, and I, it was very believable. You, I felt their passion for each mm. other. It was a really nice culmination for Sun and Moon. I will say, Alistair Brammer, who is playing Chris, yes. is a really good performer. Oh, he is, He's yeah. very, very good. He actually started out in the Any Dream Will Do competition. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and then he didn't win, but out of doing the competition, the director of Joseph really liked him and they cast him as Zebulon. He's one of the brothers. And then he was the understudy Joseph as well. But he didn't even get close to winning. He was just in it. Yeah, I I, I think that this is a phenomenal cast. Mm. Like Everyone is phenomenal in it. There's no weak link in this. There's not like, I'm going to say like halfway through the show, like this actor let it down. Yeah, no, everyone was great. But But like Gigi is Rachel Ann Goh, who was Eliza in the UK Hamilton. I saw her in that. She was amazing. Yeah, this is a phenomenal cast. And I saw that um, the actor who plays Kim, she's recently done a film, I think called Yellow Rose. It's a musical. Yeah. And she does it with uh, Leah Solange. Leah Solonga. Leah Solonga. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting that the two Kims are together in that film. Yeah. Well, they're both phenomenal, phenomenal actors. Everyone in this is... Ava Noblesada is ridiculously talented for somebody so young. Yeah. Like, she's done a lot of stuff now, but if you watch... Well, she's a year younger than you. I know that, but... (laughs) No, but... When I say someone so young, I mean, like, the way that she started her acting career. but I... But what I mean is, in, in 2014, she is going to have been very young doing this. Yeah. You know, like, and that's... Mm -hmm. uh, An amazing... 
uh, just an amazing feat for such a young actor to do this. Yeah. Well, when she was cast as Kim, she was 17. Yeah. Which is, like, that's crazy. And then her career just took off from there, mm. which is great. We're going to the telephone song. Mm-hmm. Not the, quite the smartphone hour. No. But it's so funny. There's so many movie... There's so many musicals that have songs about, like, the telephone hour, the smartphone yeah. hour, the... Like things like that. Just... I like this song. You know, I, I like the, the the style of the singing. I like the back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris tells John that he's taking all of his leave to play house. Mm-hmm. Whereas John's like, no, Saigon is falling. We need you, Chris. Yeah. And there's a back and forth arguing about this. And Chris is saying, like, well, it's your fault, John. You're the one who set this up. And, you know, if you didn't want this, you should never have, you know, allowed this to happen. And... It goes from taking all of his leave to you get one day. Yeah. Be back. All the more early for it the next day. Mm-hmm. And we go to the deal. Uh, the engineer wants a visa, not money. But John gives him six weeks income instead. Yeah. So the deal was he would he could pay for yeah. him. And the engineers changed the deal. And Chris is like, no, I have a gun. Oh, yes. Yeah. So not John. So it was Chrissy. Uh, yeah but yeah like, it's really hard i always get their names mixed up they don't look anything alike no they don't but but again this is what i like about this one is very similar to hamilton very similar to les mis it's short songs short little bit of sequence onto the next thing because mm-hmm. there's not much talking in this there is a nice amount of talking in yeah this. it's more than les mis and it's not done in the same les mis obviously was um, done in the way of like even when you're talking you're singing yeah but this at least they sometimes it's not like they take a break and talk but just some of their lines are spoken which yeah. is nice it's good yeah no I, I like the balance here so we go from the deal into the wedding you know so they come in and it's just like a little bit of uh, music over top it yeah I, I do think considering this is the second day like this is a 24 hours of past maybe not even that since yeah. We started. These girls must be very jealous. Like they've been sold this idea from the engineer that like um this will happen to them. Yeah, so so here is this character who's like she was literally there for one day, bumped into this American guy, he fell in love with her, they're getting married, he's going to take her back to America with them. Yeah, and they're like That's what we've been, been doing promised. this for months, weeks, whatever, and she's done it in 12 days. Yeah. Like it is they must be very just but they, 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 they are enthusiastic, supportive. I, I, I like this. You know, it's mm-hmm. a nice thing we go into. Um, what was this song? You told me the, the shortened. So I'm not 100% how to pronounce this. I'm probably going to completely botch it. But it, I think it's Juvu Vi. Yeah. It's three separate words. It's DJU, VUI, VAI. Okay. It's my best attempt. Um, And I did look up how to pronounce it. I tried. I'm really, really dyslexic. So, yeah. <laughs> but I like have, this. Yeah. So this is a wedding. Yeah, but Kim, I like the way she starts it by seeking her parents' blessing. Like she's talking to their, oh, yeah, it's them, cute. and it's cute. She's like, "I know this isn't what we wanted." Well, it's not what they wanted. Yeah, her father sold her into marriage when she was 13. They were betrothed 
she was betrothed to a, another boy and that was their choice. However, her parents are dead. So she's of the opinion that it kind of doesn't matter anymore. But I think she also believes he's dead. Yeah, she just thinks they're all dead. Because, you know, their village has been stormed and destroyed. Yeah. So she seeks their blessing and then they get married. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris does look shocked when they initially say wedding. So I was like, did he realise that this is going to be a wedding? But then he goes with it. So he doesn't think they're married because the girls are all singing this song and Chris says, "What? what's the song they're singing? I don't know it. And Kim tells him, oh, it's what all the girls sing at weddings. And he's like, what? And she says, oh, well, they didn't know what else to sing. Because yeah. this isn't an official wedding. There's no. no one proceeding over it. However, from this point on, Kim thinks that they're married yes. or thereabouts. And Chris has no idea. Yeah. It's almost like he's happy to say they're married whilst she's there. Like, oh, yeah, she's my wife. Mm. But then out of sight, out of mind, yeah. as we're going to learn shortly. Yes, because I'll talk about it when we get to it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, a mysterious man shows up. Yes. We meet Tuai. And I'm thinking it's Tuai, her fiancé, and he is. Yeah, he's also her cousin. Yeah. And she's not interested. Yeah, they were betrothed at 13, and Kim says that when her parents died, and his parents died too, their father's promises died with them. It's meaningless. There's nobody there to enforce this anymore. And ultimately, it looks like this could all go... Very, very, very violent. Yep. Guns are being pointed at people, but eventually Tuai leaves. Yeah, he's completely disgusted that she would be there with a white man. Yeah. Because he has become an officer in the North Vietnamese army and is fighting against the Americans. Yeah. So obviously he's freaked out to see her. You do kind of get the idea that he does kind of love her. It's. It doesn't feel like it's holy duty to him. I don't think so. I think it's a possessive thing. It's like, no, but you are mine. You've been promised to me, so you are mine. But I think in his mind that means that he loves her. Yeah. It's like, you are something that belongs to me, and therefore I will love and protect you. Yes. But it's not love as we think about it. No. I, yeah, it, but it, it, it's a spanner in the works, and it's going to become more important. Later on. Yes. Yes. The last night in the world. Uh, yeah, they dance. Um, and the so when they had their first their dance in the club, John was playing the saxophone. Right. So I liked that bit. And then we have, you know, there's a line here that says played on a solo saxophone. Was yeah. it going to be by John? Yes. Uh, yeah. So they're, they're dancing, but it's the same song that they danced to when John was playing the saxophone. Yes. And this is a really beautiful song. She's scared that he's going to leave her, but he says that he's devoted and he will stay. Mm-hmm. And the closing... His lies are meaningless. Yeah. The closing notes on this number are so good. Yeah. Like really powerful and really like, yeah, just a really nice song. And I guess that's kind of the first act done it's not act one done but this is the first big chunk of this story done yes well so madam butterfly the original story is an opera in three parts and this is kind of where the first part ends is with the wedding because they do actually get properly married in madam butterfly not this misunderstanding marriage well but i guess this is it this this show is also 
three parts. Yeah, basically. Act one is two parts and then act two is mm -hmm. the final part. Yeah. So, so we, we jumped forward to 1978. We're three years forward yeah. at this point. Yes, there's a street parade happening in Saigon, but yep. it's now been renamed Ho Chi Minh City. Yep. Um, and they're celebrating the third anniversary of the reunification of Vietnam and the defeat of the Americans. Yes. And this is the morning of the dragon. Yeah, the, the dragon prop is fantastic. Oh, it's so nice. All of the sets in this are really nice. Yep. Um, the flag choreography is fantastic. Yep. The way they move the flags. Um, That's really difficult to do. Yeah, I, I did think the Ho Chi Minh statue was terrifying. Like, oh, absolutely. Really ominous, really terrifying. Um, I, I'll say this. I, I talked to you about this in, in the car. Um, afterwards. Afterwards. We went and got our food shot. Yeah. I struggled to follow the narrative of this song. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a pet peeve I have with some musicals where you can't actually hear the words. I think it comes down to... There being a lot of people singing at once as well. Yes. I but also there have been some shows I've seen live where the level of the mics is just not right. Mm -hmm. And or, you know, the band is louder. So you can't actually hear what's being said in the songs. Yeah, and the music in this sequence is so loud and they're all marching as well. Yeah. It's very, very confusing. So you have to sort of really watch the dance and know how to interpret specific dance sequences to know what's really going on i recall having that problem when we saw waitress for the first time as well yeah that i the find it was really loud i find it very difficult with some shows we see them live mm -hmm. and with some musicals we watch like this it's very difficult to determine if you enjoy it because there's some songs you have to think well i need to listen to the recording to know if i actually liked that song or not yeah but when you have things like this that are narrative driven like this is quite important and narrative to be like what has actually happened in the in three, these years, three years yeah if you can't understand it it's a flaw mm -hmm. and maybe this is just a result of a bad recording i mean it's a really good recording but maybe it's just a result of this song is difficult to get mm -hmm. i don't know it, it it turned me off a little bit at this point because it's just like i didn't actually understand what happened and because it's such a big jump forward it's not because it's the start of the second part. Yeah. So it turns me off, I think, going into the interval because I was already had a wall up. Yeah. So the plot of this sequence, The Morning of the Dragon, is supposed to tell the story of how they defeated the Americans. So you have uh, sort of half of the ensemble dressed to represent the North Vietnamese army. Yes. They have dragon masks on yeah. that are red and they're wearing sort of green greeny blue jumpsuit yeah. outfits and they're doing a lot of uh martial arts inspired dance moves and then they show the american army which is the other half of the ensemble who are dressed in red with these masks so they call them um paper tigers yeah easily defeated basically okay. and they have these white tiger masks but the tigers have little uncle sam hats on yeah they which as a result for me it's really creepy to look at made them seem quite purge like because mm. they were very like oh, yeah. westernized do you know mm. what i mean because but that's the point yeah exactly like it wasn't oh, I don't and know. it's just that it's just a lot of marching and talking about yeah. how 
they're the heroes and they defeated the yeah. horrible Americans. Congratulations. It was a, a visually great sequence. However, orally, I struggled because I couldn't mm-hmm. hear much of it. Uh, we do find the engineer mm-hmm. and who I is a high ranking part of the army. Now he's yeah, a general. He's a commissar. Yep. You can see he's got loads of medals and he tells the engineer he wants to find Kim mm-hmm. and that's the engineer's job and the engineer's life might be saved if yeah. he can help. He's but... been in a re-education camp. Yeah. Yeah, to kind of be like, hey, stop loving the Western world. You're here. Yeah, but he's been picking, basically just picking rice. Yeah. In the re-education camp. Although we do get a great line. He has this one refrain, which obviously these composers love to do in their shows. Mm-hmm. But he sings about how men will always be men. And it's just this one little bit that he does where he says, men will always be men. I'll chant Uncle Ho, but think Uncle Sam. Yeah. And just being like, none of that works. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still exactly the same. Yeah. He's got 48 hours. Yeah. And the threat of death is what makes him do it. He seems like initially quite hesitant to it. He's like, no, I'm not going to waste my time. But when he's like, 48 hours, if you don't do it, then I will kill you. Yeah. Yeah, so even though we're not shown the sort of in-between period of what happened to Kim in these three years or how they were separated at this point, Kim is still here. Yep. She's been hiding in the sort of slums. Yes. So we're getting I Still Believe. Yeah. And she's talking about how Chris has been absent. She's waiting for him. Now, at this point in the song, I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe, you know, Chris is on a mission or Chris is in hiding or maybe Chris has just gone and he's, he's taking a few days to get back. No. It's three years. He's in America. <laughs> yep. With a wife. Yep. Suffering How mad PTSD. Him. I was I was mad at him, but it was also quite an interesting device because I was like, this re-energized me. Like after that last song, I'm kind of like drifted out. I was like, mm-hmm. what's happened? This is really interesting to yeah. me. And I find it really interesting that for the rest of this act, Chris is a non-character. Yeah, we don't know why they've been separated. We don't know what happened. And that is so interesting to me because, mm-hmm. you know, I knew that the engineer was seen as the, the male lead. But at this point, I hadn't seen enough to suggest why he'd be the male lead. I thought Chris was. And I thought, what happens? Is Chris going to die? Yeah. And then this happens and you get more of the engineer's story. And I was like, wow. And just that as a change for Chris to suddenly be a non-character. Yeah. Wow, that's a really interesting change. And I was very, very re-energised and interested. Yep. So Chris's PTSD, we see this. I, I like the way it's been staged as well. That you've got him on a different level above. You know, he's above all these issues in Saigon. He's back in America. He's in his bed. And I like that she's still street level. She's below him. Yeah. Like. I just thought the staging was very, very clever. And you mm-hmm. could see both of them at different points. Yeah. And the pain that she has while she's waiting for him. And there's him with his cushy life. Yeah, we meet Ellen. Yeah. Although we're not told her name at this point. His wife. Yep. And she talks about how every night Chris wakes up screaming a sound that sounds like a name. He's calling out for Kim in his sleep. And she's wondering if... Like, why is he with her if yeah. he's still hung up on this girl yeah. that he met? Is it even a girl? Does and she even know I, who I, it is? I think, especially with the Vietnam War, there's a lot of media 
on the PTSD surrounding the veterans who come home. Mm-hmm. More so than I think you see from World War One or Two. Mm-hmm. It feels like, and maybe because it is more modern a, a war, but there, there feels like this more is some... More research surrounding it. And, well, not even necessarily the research, like just more recent in memory. Mm-hmm. But also, I guess, because it's a war that America didn't win. Yeah. You know, that... Well, and also by that point, we knew what PTSD was. Yeah, so it would have been more recognised. Like, if you think about what shell shock was after World War Two, yeah. that's PTSD. But it's interesting as well, and maybe, maybe this is just something I've gotten from watching media as opposed to living the experience, because obviously we're English. Yep. You feel like people look down on Vietnam veterans because... There's a real controversy with this war. Yeah, I don't know enough about me. I'm really, it's, I really don't like war movies, no. so my media intake on that is pretty non-existent. But I'm, there's a lot of jokes in things about like oh Nam and yeah, like it's a bit weird. Well, we watched not another teen movie. You know, one of the, yeah, the lines dad. is I've been an alcoholic since my first tour in Nam. Yeah. It's a footnote of a joke. But then you've also got the Rambo films where he is, is a that what that's about? he's a veteran. He's a Vietnam veteran. But he's come back heavily PTSD and trying to live on the outside. But the first Rambo film is like he's a criminal that they're trying to take down because there's a perception of the Vietnam veterans. Like they went home, they were homeless and they were shunned. They weren't celebrated as war heroes in the same way the troops coming back from World War Two would have been. Mm. So I could be completely wrong here. But knowing that, I thought that would be more of Chris's arc. And I was surprised we didn't see him more through Act 2 dealing with the aftermath. Yeah. Because it's not his story. You'd said to me, going into it, that this tries to position you, you know, like the Americans would, where you're kind of learning as it goes on. So I figured we might have followed the American character more. No. So I was very interested that it didn't follow him. I didn't touch on that controversy. We're dealing entirely with the mess that is left behind in Mm -hmm. Vietnam. Back in town, the engineer arrives and finds Kim quite quickly, which surprised me. I thought more of this play would now be... Finding her. Finding her. Yeah. But he's wicked smart. Oh, he is, and very resourceful. But Mm -hmm. he finds her, and Kim just wants to hide in peace. You know, she, she just wants to live her life. She's happy hiding. She doesn't want the past. She's here waiting. But the engineer has also bought her ex fiance her cousin and she's not interested in him she still wants chris she still believes she is married to chris yeah she's devoted to him she refuses to indulge in conversations to believes that chris has left her yes yes and and you said well he's not wrong (laughs) yeah so he's like he's left you and she doesn't know Mm -hmm. she thinks he'll come back she thinks I think she knows he's in America, but she kind of feels like he's going to come back the conquering hero once he can. And Two Eyes like, no, <laughs> he's left you. You have nothing. So why not do what you're always supposed to do? Marry me. We won't talk about the past. But we'll just move on. Fresh start. Whatever. You'll be in a position of honour because you'll be married to me and I am a big deal. Mm-hmm. There also is the sort of connotation as well because they're from the same family and the rest of their family is dead to him it's important that they marry yeah because that's his family he needs 
to continue his family name and he can't have this one random cousin just hanging around. Yeah, it is very interesting that in the three years since he hasn't taken a wife or found someone else. Because he must be quite eligible. Like, there must be... I think he's been working his way up. Yeah, but there must be talk amongst other people, like, you know, he only gets as far because he's got no one else. Mm -hmm. We're going to You Will Not Touch Him. Yes. Two Eye... So, so two eyes got to this point where he's like, right, both of you are going to die. Unless you agree with me, you're both going to a re-education camp or I'm going to kill you. Make and choice. there's a sack put over Kim's head and there's a gun and two eyes stops the execution just in time. She's like, please, just don't make me do this. Mm-hmm. He stops the guards and kicks them out. And yeah. he's like, he- well, I think he has this weird moment where he sort of comes back to himself. He's obviously so powerful at this point. He does this all the time. Oh, yeah. It doesn't even occur to him that it's weird. Yeah. And then when he looks around and sees her and is like, oh, God, I'm, I do actually want to marry this girl. Yeah. Why am I doing this? And it's like, she is family. She's all I've got left. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. So he he's trying to convince her to see sense and save her life and the engineer's life. He dismisses the engineer. They're talking privately. <laughs> engineer finally is just like, and I'll go, bye. Yeah, and it I- is exactly the same as, you know, in Les Mis, when Thenardier is talking to the police officer. Yeah. It's um, Javert. Yeah. And he says, if there's nothing else, <laughs> sorry, Inspector, can I go? Yeah. It's exactly the off. same. It is like the rats are just like, they're hiding, you yeah. know, the... And this is where we reveal that Kim has a son. Yes. Two Eye is outraged. Obviously. So we meet Tam. Tam is three and is Chris's son. And Two two Eye and the engineer and everybody else that talks about him and to him, um, Tam looks... American there is one of the songs later on is called let me see his western nose which is just referencing that he has western features and is half American and half and so he he very quickly luckily it's only the two of them he he hides everyone he's like right no one can see this no one can see his child we don't talk about him he'll bring disgrace on us we can still make this work but he's forgotten yeah I don't know if they're saying like they'll just abandon him or if it's like he can go with you but no one ever sees him no, um, he means this kid has to go. Yes, there's a bit here. So as he goes to get rid of the kid, she holds up the gun. Yeah, and she has Chris's gun. How many bullets are in this gun? Two Eyes says the line, and I think this is a great line. He just said, of course you have a gun. His gun. He says, of course you have his gun. Yeah, I just yeah. it might be one of my favourite lines I've ever seen in a musical. Because it's just so like, of course. Mm. And Yeah, but sh- Two Eyes doesn't have a gun. No. He only has a knife, but then he had his soldiers around to help him. And it all builds up. He is going to to stab. Yeah, he's got the he's got Tam and he's got the knife. And this kid is so cute. Yeah, Kim shoots two eye. Yeah, and he dies. Uh, I will say the kid that plays Tam is doing the best job. Oh, he wears little ear. Plugs yes. the whole time because obviously this is a very loud musical, and I think that's really sensible. Yeah. It's nice to see it's kids nice being to see taken he's care of. Protected. The funny thing is with Tam, and I joked about this with you. It's like this kid does so much, with like so but also, little, but also he does, does not so little. Up. Yeah, the only times we see things is there's a weird like he gives a kiss and wipes his 
lips. And when the and engineer picks him up yeah. and he just hangs there, and he gets that's hilarious. Yeah. But yeah. he's so neutral the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. We get, um, this is the hour, and then we go, I've literally written no notes to this song. And mm-hmm. then we go straight into If You Want to Die in Bed. So the engineers try to blend in with the army to try and make his escape. He returns to Dreamworld to find his treasures. Yeah. Um, I love If You Want to Die in Bed. I find this song hilarious. Yes. However, and I didn't write down specific instances of the lyrics, but when you consider the originator of the role, these lyrics are um, so inappropriate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They feel fine in this context, sung by this engineer. Yeah. However, when you have a white man singing some of these lyrics, mm. I don't agree with them. Yeah. I love the different, like, so, so, like, he praises America and it's very quiet when he says it because, like, he doesn't want to be hidden, you know, mm. like, he doesn't want to be found. And then he's yeah. hiding and Kim shows up. So the lyric you're specifically thinking of is, why was I born of a race that thinks only of rice and hates entrepreneurs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which. You have a white dude sing that's pretty racist. It, it, exactly. So. I mean, considering it was written by a white dude. Yeah. As a still lyric. kind of racist. Yeah, it's still bad. But. F- yeah. Feels less bad. When you have a an Asian actor play this character. Yeah. And have some actual. Representation. Representation. However, it's still a bad line. But it, it, it's a nice sequence. Yeah. Um, this this next sequence is 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 the bit where Tam is ragdolled and it's just picked up and moved. It's so know. cute. Yeah, and yeah, Tim to... tells the engineer that she killed Tuai and that they need to get out of here and they need to go to America. And he's like, "Oh, that's it. You're just going to walk to America then." Yeah. And she's like, "Well, my son is Chris's son," and he's like. Oh, golden ticket opportunity. Exactly. Lovely. It's like, da 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 Yeah. He's got a golden chance to make And he says, right. I'm now your brother. Yes. This is our, this is my nephew. Yeah. And he gives, this is the bit where he, he makes Tam give him a yeah, kiss. Yeah, he says, give your wipes. uncle a kiss. Yeah. And then he said, uh, Tam wipes his mouth and he goes, this kid is all right. Yeah. That's <laughs> cute. I really do like the engineer. Like, I don't like him as a character. He's despicable no but he's enjoyable as a yes character yeah, 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 to yeah. watch and and uh, yeah I, I enjoyed it whenever he's on i feel like i'm gonna have a good time yeah so the engineer leaves to go and get them tickets so that they can sail to bangkok yep and kim sings i would give my life for you yes she just wants to be a good mother mm-hmm. and we have really sinister notes and a face to end like her face just looks like but I know this isn't maintainable. And the way the it's song like ends... they could just die on their way yeah. to Bangkok. And it's really ominous yeah. and foreboding. And, like, you feel the sense like something's going to change. This isn't like One Day More, where we end Act 1 sort of triumphant. really triumphantly. Yeah. And, you know, listen to our latest episode of It's Your Favourite Musical Podcast, where yeah. we talk lame is with Ellie of mm, yeah. uh, the Flame uh, Musical Podcast. We talk about how, if anything, show ever summed up that everything is great just to come tearing down it's lame it's with one day more mm-hmm. this ending of act one you don't feel like they're in a better place especially because as this ends we're showing the pictures of people escaping vietnam on boats yeah. to bangkok and i mean the world hasn't changed basically no, no. 
these people, some of the boats went down and they all died. Some people, the boats were overcrowded and yeah. they just ended up getting pushed in yeah. and dying on the way there. And she is fully aware that that could happen to them. Yeah. But and we, they have to try. And we end with Exodus. Mm-hmm. And Saigon feels dangerous. Yeah. And I think that's a really good bit of writing. Whereas at the start with Dreamworld backstage, it felt glitzy, glamorous. It doesn't here. It doesn't yeah. feel safe. And I think does a good job at writing us to feel in Kim's shoes that we are on edge. Mm-hmm. We go into Act One at the end, scared. Yeah. And for kind her, of what's, for the child. Yeah, for everyone. We don't feel like she's escaped a ghost of the past. Two Eyes Death hasn't brought any relief. No. Because now there's other people who will be chasing after her. People knew what he wanted. The guards had gone there. They've seen her face. The guards were there. Exactly. The fact that she got away is amazing. So this is our end of part two. Mm-hmm. End of act one. Yep. Then we come back and we see the... And, and the words are, are... The subtitle beneath the picture is The Boat People Fleeing Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It does feel exploitative. I think you were right when you said that. But... Yeah, so... I haven't watched this version for a really long time. Yeah. Probably since it came out. And even then, I didn't watch this DVD version. I just watched the cinema version that came out at the time. And in 2014, it never occurred to me that that was a bit weird. But nowadays, like... So the picture at the beginning, the picture that started it all, that was in a magazine. Yeah. That was talking about how horrific it is that these women had to leave their children to random American men who they'd maybe met once yeah. in the hopes that their kids would get a better life. I can understand showing that picture. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It was used in a magazine. They probably paid for the rights to show this picture. Yeah. Not sure whether they got the rights from the original photographer or the magazine, but you know. And then these pictures of people literally fleeing for their lives yeah. on boats. Like, I hate to make the the connection, but you know when people take pictures, photographers take pictures of animals killing other animals. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, we can't interfere because that would be that would be wrong. We can't interfere with what's happening. Yeah. Like I get t- that I'm sure that picture was taken to make people aware of what was going on. Right. Yeah. And to to try and help. But putting it here in this show. As a storytelling device as well. This isn't a... It feels really exploitative. But that's because it feels like this is what what our characters are doing. We're not going to stage this. We're just going to show you. And you can... That's the problem here is it feels like they're using this as the narrative. Mm. In which case it's just lazy narrative. But, and this is the thing, is it's obviously very important. We need to see these things. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to get... and, And again, I feel like we get more imagery from the Vietnam War because it was when this technology was more readily available and there are horrific images and videos of this this conflict. Mm -hmm. But to have it just lazily thrown in here and have them called boat people, it feels dismissive of your subject. Like you're not giving them respect. Boat people, they're not people who lived on boats. They are refugees. They're refugees getting on these boats in the hopes that they can get to Bangkok. Yeah. Like, they, they don't live on these boats. No. Therefore, they are not boat people. So we get Crazy. that. That's the first thing we see going into Act 2. And then we're in Atlanta, Georgia. We're yes, in America. For, uh, I don't we know see... how you... 
you pronounce this 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 song. Boy doy. Say that again, sorry. It's boy doy. Boy doy. Boy. Boy. B W I. Yeah. Boy. 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 Yeah. Boy do. Doy. Doy. Yeah. Boy doy. Yeah. So, the term boy doy means the dust of life. Yeah. Basically, it originally referred to starving people in the countryside taking refuge in bigger towns in the 1930s. And then it grew to specifically refer to children, where it meant, where it was trebuidoi, which yeah. was young orphans or young vagrants. And then it was intended to make you think of an abandoned child yeah. that had like had no purpose, like dust. However, in Vietnamese, it has no racial content at yeah. all it does not refer to american asian american children who have been abandoned by their american fathers it they have a different word for that however the term buidoi became widely known in the western world after this musical came out because they used it to specifically refer to the asian to the Vietnamese American children that yeah. were left behind by their fathers. And they specifically were using it not to just mean street children, but to mean these specific children. Yeah. And from that point on, it's been used that way in the Western world, wow. even though it doesn't mean that. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. John's back. And he's doing much better for himself and seen, clearly feels yeah. really bad about everything he did. And yeah, so he's here trying to kind of make amends and raise the profile. Which is good for him. And you know what? We've talk, just talked about the exploitation of the boat people. Mm-hmm. Having the montage of the children playing on a screen behind him, it still feels exploitative, but actually feels good world building because you know that people would be there and be like, hey, look at this. Yeah, because this was actual footage that was being shown at the time. This aid organisation is a real aid organisation mm. or based on a real yeah. aid organisation. And I'm sure that when they did talks to raise money and raise awareness, they did show these kind of videos. Yeah. I would be fine with that. And maybe in the stage show and not the way that they filmed it for this, they show that picture on those screens. Possibly, yeah. And then I'd be more okay Yeah, with it. it just feels very weird. It's like we've bookended with the first image and then the second image. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. So, yes, John is raising the profile of these children. It's obviously a very personal cause to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't yeah. help but wonder how many of these kids are his as well, you know, are any of these kids his as well. Like, maybe he's learned about it because he's found he's got a child. Yeah. And he's become more part of it. Or, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we get no insight into why he he works for this organisation. Yeah. But clearly he's sorted his life out. Yeah, his because... life is far more... Like, he has more meaning. Meaning, but also far more put together than Chris's is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like he's got this PTSD in a t- traditional Vietnam veteran does. He's like, I've seen horrible things, but I'm going to continue to make the life This is the place. way he's working through it. Yeah. yeah. His specific mission is to connect Widoi children with their American fathers. Yes. Um, and he has summoned Chris to his office. Yeah, we get the revelation. Yes. Uh, I, I, You know, Chris is back. I like that this is the first time we see him again. He's he's not he aware of anything that's happening. Yep, you can see he's struggling, and John 
tells Chris that he is a dad. Chris is overjoyed when he hears that Kim is alive. It's a huge relief to him. Yeah, he's been having nightmares every night. You know, and I like this sort of imagery he conjures up. Yeah, he's like her face being burnt, you know, like really like... Horrific. Horrific things. things, which actually he would have seen those horrific things. So he's now projecting his his memories onto Kim because he knows the multitude of different things that could have happened to her. Yep. He's overjoyed that she's alive. But he doesn't have the same reaction when he finds out about Tam. Mm-hmm. And he says that he dreamt this. He dreamt of this child. So... Deep down, I think he knew. Yeah. Super interestingly, sometimes men do get a sense of when their partners are pregnant before they actually know about it. Yeah. So, like, subconscious, like a pheromone thing, I'm Possibly. sure. But subconsciously, he, it's obviously seeped into him that, oh, hey, maybe she was pregnant. Yeah. Chris's response is awful to this, though. Oh, he sucks, yeah. Yeah, like, this one, I really disliked him. He's like, but I've got a new life. What about my wife? She doesn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all he cares about. And John is the voice of reason. It's very interesting because John wasn't the voice of reason. He was like the, you know, you know, you get like the angel and the devil. Yeah. He was the devil tempting Chris in Vietnam. But now he's the voice of reason. He's the angel saying, hey, you have to do the right thing and tell her. Yeah. You know, tell her everything. If she loves you, she'll understand. You know, we've all done things we weren't happy with in Vietnam, but we have to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to Bangkok say back to Bangkok we're going there for the first time we get water waste the engineer seems like he's back on top in Bangkok you know we get sex tourism the musical which is horrible to think that this this culture that this is what people is because you've got all these white western men coming over finding the pimps and paying like for the privilege yeah it's like a tourism yeah tourist trap it is, is the it, word it, I wanted. and and bangkok does have that reputation today yeah and it feels far worse than what we saw in dream world begins like this feels far more exploitative mm. like this especially feels... with the way that the girls are dressed when we do see inside of the yeah because the girls are dressed far worse you obviously we get the, the ping pong ball moment i will say that is very well done. It is very, very it's, well done. <laughs> I don't want it to come off like... CD, Oh, no. that was... Cre- I was so into that. But, like, that as a joke... Yeah. ...is pretty funny because you don't see things like that on stage no. in musicals. And because it comes from the engineer's gaze, that is very similar to Dream World, the opening one, that when, when we're having fun, we see it through this gaze. This isn't done in a moment of everything being sombre and bleak. Yeah, it's not done in a sordid way it's yeah. just sort of like oh here's something funny that we do but we also have we have a bunch of white tourists yeah. including one little mormon dude with yep. his little book who seems who tries to hit on the engineer yeah more into the engineer the engineer isn't actually on top though because he is no, a middleman he's a mascot like he's out there rallying people to come in but he doesn't get he's getting 10 cents yeah what do you call that i'm sure there's a name for that job where you stand outside of nightclubs and try and convince people to come in there's a name for it, I can't yeah. remember. I'm not sure. It's like a Barker festival ground, you know, like, hmm. hey, come, you know, a shooting range. Good call back to Carousel. Yeah. I love it. But he's he's not landed on his feet. He's, he's obviously dressed his way and he gets his triumphant, like, strut back on stage, like, I'm back mm-hmm. in my digs. And he's not. He's, he's living a lie. Yeah. Um, but, you know, John shows up. There's a nice reunion between the two. And John's like, Oh my God, it's the engineer. You're still doing this. And 
we see that Kim is working in the industry again and she's far less coy than she was the first time around. Like, no, because she's trying to make money this time. Yeah. She needs to to keep Tam. And alive. she's probably been doing this for a long time as well. It's not yeah. like the first time we saw her where it was her first night and she was still wholesome. She's doing what she has to do for Tam to survive. And it's heartbreaking. You know, you see this character that has so much respect for herself. Mm-hmm. And it is heartbreaking to see her in this way, you know, with, with much more revealing clothes on. John comes in yeah. and finds Kim there because the engineer is also there. And then John's like, God, you're here too, yeah. which is kind of hilarious. John remembers this guy. Yeah. And obviously he's fallen quite far as well. Yeah. But yeah, he talks to Kim and they're trying. he's trying to explain to Kim that Chris is here. But he's... With his wife. Yeah, but he can't... I don't think he's able to because he he sees... She's that, so happy that he's here. Yeah, and it's so like... Because she sees this as her salvation. Yeah. And this is where we get that dramatic irony which makes this moment even more heartbreaking because we know what Chris has been up to and we know what Chris's view on her is. Mm. So John can't go through with it because he's in this moment like, oh my God, you love him. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is horrible. I, I'll say that... Again, this is another moment where I struggled to get a sense of what was being sung. It's not like Lame is where I can hear multiple voices over each other. At this moment, I did struggle to hear John's reaction and Kim's reaction when they were singing over each other. Yeah, so Kim is singing to Tam about how his father is here. He's been waiting for so long for this. Like, you're going to get to be an American boy and have this life and we're going to be happy and safe with your father yeah and john is singing about how she needs to be prepared before he goes and sees her and she needs to be aware of things that she's not currently aware of but also he then sort of gives in and is like i promise you i will bring him to see you yeah just wait here it'll be fine but he does also we, we learn that chris did hide for a full year in between this happening oh he refused to speak to anybody yeah yeah and eventually, after a year, he decided to move on and come out of mourning. Yeah, yeah. it is a, a heartbreaking sequence. And you know, you know that it's all going to continue going down from here because you know that this is not going to go well. Mm. We know what Chris's view on this situation is and we know how different it is to the salvation this means for Kim. She's been pinning all her hopes on this this moment happening. So, yeah. So the engineer comes back and says to Kim, look, this is a terrible idea to wait around for this guy to come. All that's going to happen is John's going to go back and tell him that you have a kid. Yeah. And he's going to be like, I'm out. I'm out. So you've got to go find him. I do like a bit. So a pimp does come in, sees John off, but it's kind of like, oh, hey, would you like... And John's like, nope, not interested. And the, the, the pimp is like, I can get you anything and then you have this moment where it's this really vulnerable moment of like Kim's trying to deal with it and the engineer's like no you've got to do this you've got to do this she doesn't have a moment to think he says he'll he'll look after Tam and he'll cover for them yeah because with funnily enough he's not gonna let anything happen to Tam at this point Tam is his only ticket out of this country yeah she had a picture of her and Chris and I think she showed it. No, it's her parents. Her parents? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, the picture falls. 
Yeah. And that feels like a pretty bad omen at this point going forward. Yeah, so she picks up the photograph and she's saying about how... She's basically saying, talking to her dead parents and saying, I know this isn't what you wanted for me, but thank you for blessing me. He's come back. Like, I asked you to bless our union years ago and now he's returned for me. This is great. She puts it back up on the wall. It falls off and smashes. Yeah. Which is definitely bad karma. Yeah. And then two eyes apparition of yes her. we have her nightmare and Tuai is haunting her the lighting and the distortion of his voice is great mm-hmm. you know that this is otherworldly oh yeah and they've put him in he's in the same costume he died in but it's gray now instead of green yeah and which is very clever i think that's really important because at no point do we have it clear that you know it's not expressly said but he's a ghost yeah but the distortion of the voice of lighting comes across really well mm-hmm. and he says the line he betrayed you once and he will again Yep. And we get the flashback, the fall of Saigon. Mm-hmm. And we see what happened that night. Have you ever seen a musical with a flashback in it before? Yes, I feel like I have. I, I was trying to I, think. I'm sure I have as well, but I cannot think what it could be. Yeah, I can't think. Because it's really difficult to do a flashback in a musical. It really is. You have dream sequences, like Hairspray obviously has the... I can hear the bell's dream sequence. Well, and like Carousel and Oklahoma and stuff. It's very clear when this is a dream sequence. But, and yeah. I think it's clear here that this is a flashback. And I like how they've done it. And they have, you know, two eyes then sort of bookend of this dream sequence because we know that he's dead. Yeah. And she goes back to wearing her, do they call it her wedding costume? Yes. You know? But, it's really interesting to see a musical do a flashback. In the Heights is told via flashbacks because we. The, but it's the not in the same has way. The grandma's flashback. Yeah, but it's not in the same way. Like it starts at the end and we flashback and we, we go into the middle, but it's not in the same way that this is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't actually think of anything that does specifically have flashbacks in that way. Right. Yeah. Are you Googling Phantom it? of the... I'm just looking through like our previous episodes. Phantom of the Opera, the film is told via flashbacks because, again, we start at the end. And we do get the flashback where we go back to see Madame Giry. That doesn't count as the film. Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah. I don't think we have. Interesting. So a lot of plays do. Yeah, yeah, but that's that is different. Mm. So the fall of Saigon is the set piece that you said people know this. This for. is the most famous uh, scene of this musical, mostly the helicopter though. Yeah, I. It's a very impressive scene, and it does feel very chaotic. And the way this has been filmed this felt very stressful. cinematic. Yeah. Oh yeah, but that I think is the point of this this has to feel stressful because this is the evacuation yeah we're... so we're picking up from exactly where chris left yes in act one where he gives her his gun and says don't worry you've got this i'm coming back i'll yeah. be back tomorrow i just have to go to work today yeah he actually there's a nice bit we hear in exchange where he's talking with another officer mm-hmm. and says that yeah we'll give her a visa 
on the grounds you have to marry her officially oh, when you get back. Sign this document to say that when you get back, you are going to marry yeah. her. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. It's easy. Yeah. However, while that's happening, while he's signing that paperwork, there's a lot going on yeah. in the background that we see and we hear over the radio as well in the background yeah. that they're starting to evacuate. Yeah. And, you know, Chris thinks he has the time, but obviously there was none. He's like, I'll be back. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, he literally signs the paperwork and then tries to leave to go back to her and it isn't allowed. The gates out are shut. No one else is coming in, and she's there. She's like, "I'm, I'm, I'm married to an American soldier. You have to let me through." And no one's, no one's coming in. They won't no let one through. believes so. Yeah. I mean, why would they as well? Like, I'm sure loads of people were saying that. Yeah, exactly. So there, it's a case of crossed wires. She's there. He thinks she's at home. He tries ringing to be like. You need to get here. Answer the phone so I know you're safe. I will come mm-hmm. and get you. He tries to leave. They're not letting him and John have like this brilliant fight where he's trying to get out. And John's like, no. He tries to climb over the barbed wire yeah. fence and everything. The staging of the sequence is phenomenal. You know, you see that Chris is desperate to get to Kim. Kim is desperate to get to Chris. But they're just, it's not working. It's like, it's almost that moment where he could look. If he looked at the right point in time, he could go over. That's my wife. Get someone at the gates and get her in. Mm-hmm. Because he just, he looked at the wrong time. And the lighting as the helicopter arrives. So they have a projection of the helicopter. Initially, yes. And it sweeps across the audience. And then as it goes up onto the stage, it goes onto the front of the actual helicopter so that when the projection turns off, the physical helicopter is there. Yeah, I'd initially written projection. I love it. Yeah, I I think it's a a phenomenal set piece. Mm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just adds to the what we're trying to go with for with this vibe it's weird in musicals when you get something trying to be as naturalistic as possible yeah this is a pretty naturalistic musical i would say it's not because flashbacks aren't naturalistic but also um this wouldn't there would have been too much for this to be in act one but also in terms of it's epic theatre. It's it's the montage which you're seeing over several years that's not naturalistic. Mm. But this moment, designed to be a naturalistic as possible piece of theatre, works to get the vibe of what we're going for. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they they leave and yeah. So John has to punch Chris in the face yeah. to get him into the helicopter. He knocks him out. Chris falls back into the helicopter, and then the helicopter takes off. And you see all these. Uh, the people left in Vietnam who faces. are basically just screaming because they know what's happening with with yeah their country they know and also if you are one of those people who was trying to get into the embassy to leave Vietnam you were just as bad they're gonna find out yeah and you're gonna be sent away to yeah. a re-education camp yeah so you feel the gravity of this moment mm-hmm. it builds really well like it's a fantastic set piece yep we go. Back to the future. Yep. And Kim is dressing in her wedding clothes. Yep. And she sings a little reprise of Sun and Moon. Yeah. She decides to trust and not see his departure as betrayal, which it actually wasn't. And I think this is important. We need to see the scene now at this point before their reunion, because we need to know what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we don't see it from her point of view. We see it from both of their points of views. We see the truth. He tried. We almost get more of Chris. Yeah. He tried. Now, the thing that could be interesting is, do we see what she thinks happened? I Maybe think we because see... she 
at no point seems to feel like he betrayed her. It's everybody else telling her yeah. that. But th- but then is that why? Like this is how she views the situation of happening. Mm. Like in her mind, this is always what happened. Well, it's her nightmare. Yeah. So. But I, I think this scene is done very well to present as this is what happened. Yeah. And... I think Kim sees it as he was taken from her. Yeah. Rather than he left her. Yeah. Which is fair enough from her perspective. Yeah. From there, she leaves to go to room 317. Yes. So... And the set change for this is phenomenal as well. Like, going from, like, the dingy little apartment or the back room she has... It's, like, opulent hotel room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal set change. So this is where we properly meet Ellen. Yep. And the first thing we see about Ellen is that she assumes Kim is the maid. Yep. And... Which, what are they dressing the maids like in this hotel? Right. She does say, when she realises that this is Kim... Come on in. No one will hurt you. Yeah, so... Saying that while she looks like a serial killer. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I said that to you as well. Yeah. She does does look a little bit crazed in this one scene. Yeah. Ellen is a really interesting character in that she, for the rest of this show from this point on, goes through all five of the stages of grief. Yeah. And then also... Is totally willing to not help Kim. Yeah. In any way, shape, or form. She's like, no, we can just pretend this never happened. She's constant back and forth on it on what she wants to actually do. Mm. Because this is a point. She wants nothing to do with any of this, but also she still wants Chris. So she's trying to convince Chris to not want anything. But this is it because Chris's version of the story is she was a girl I slept with in Vietnam, I was in love with her. But I'm not anymore. Yeah. But this is where she realises that Kim viewed them as being married and has been so devoted ever since. Right. So, in this song, Ellen reveals that she is married to Chris and that they want their own children together. And Kim's like, you're lying. I'm married to Chris. Yeah. You have to tell me that you're lying right now because that cannot be true. He wouldn't have married somebody else when he was taken away from me yeah. and ellen's like what do you mean you're married like he never mentioned this yeah mostly because f- he doesn't know and you feel kim's heartbreak like you really feel it in this performance like it's horrible it's a, it's a brilliant again brilliant sequence but it's heartbreaking because it feels so raw mm. um you know kim wants chris and ellen to take tam to give him safety and she'll happily say like i will never see my son again if it gets him out of this place and you know ellen's like no he's your kid he needs you he needs you and then she leaves and we get now that i've seen her face kim before she leaves says if all of these things are true then chris has to come and tell me them himself yeah because i'm not going to believe it coming from you which is fair yeah completely fair tell me the truth ellen is trying to rationalize this you know is kim faking like, lying about this, or is this true? And she's she's very, very muddled. Uh, what, yeah, so <laughs> this is our um, second... No, we're on our third stage of grief now. Yeah. So she had in, initially denial. She was like, I can't believe any of this is true or will actually be happening yeah. when they first spoke to her about it. Then anger in 
room 317 and then now she's in the bargaining section yeah. so she's trying to play off in her mind which way they're going to go with this and yeah. how they can get around it so this is what's interesting is because we view a lot of this world through kim Kim's our protagonist. Kim's... It's weird to get a whole song from Ellen. Right? Yeah. But also, you feel like you're... It's like you feel like Ellen is trying to be painted as the villain here. Because, like, from Kim's perspective, she's the one thing in the way. Yeah. However, I didn't see her as the, the villain. Because it is really Chris who's the villain at this point. But even then, Chris wasn't aware that he was married. But it does feel like this show is trying to present you as, that Ellen is the bad guy in this mm-hmm. and it's an interesting that in this song it's like should i feel something for her i feel like i shouldn't i feel like i should be angry at her but i don't i feel sorry for her yeah in the same way that kim has been strung along ellen's been lied to would she have still married chris if chris had said hey i might be married to a girl in vietnam but she's probably dead you would hope not but at least then if she chose to, and that would make Although, it different if she chose to still get involved with Chris knowing the truth and the history of Kim. I, I would be angry at her for this at this point. So the whole wedding thing with Chris, because we can talk about it now. When he signs those papers to say that he will marry Kim when they get back to the States, he obviously thinks, because he calls her his wife, when he's trying to get to her in the yeah. helicopter scene, he obviously thinks they had some kind of wedding adjacent yeah. sort of ceremony because nobody, there wasn't a priest or anything, you know, or a registrar or whatever. <laughs> We're trying to plan a wedding at the moment. You need one of those things, yeah. right? Somebody who can legally marry you. That didn't happen. So while in his mind it's like, oh, she's my wife-to-be or she will be my wife and he calls her his wife, And he signed this paperwork to say we will have a proper Western wedding when I get back. Yeah. Because that never happened, I think to him it's like, oh no, well, we weren't actually married. It's out of sight, out of mind. In his mind, he rationalises, she's probably dead anyway and I've got to deal with that. But I don't know what's happened. Mm. Ellen is also, she's at that point as well, she's like, she wants to set Chris free. But she isn't strong enough because she loves him and she wants to be with him. Yeah. So th- it's a weird one. And then we we get the confrontation. So Chris shows up and he says, oh, we couldn't find her anywhere. And then it's like, funny that, because she was just here. Mm-hmm. Didn't look very odd. And she says she knows that Chris lied. You know, Chris, again, at this point, says, I don't know why she'd think we're married. It, it was just sex. And yeah. I thought I loved her, but it, it was nothing more. He's and the worst. Chris continues to lie, but Ellen's like, no, I'm telling you this. I know you're not telling me the truth, and that poor girl mm-hmm. needs to hear from you. And the, she says she says to him, you need to choose who, me or Kim. He doesn't give an answer straight away. There's a silence and the fact that he can't just answer if it's Ellen or Kim right away suggests it's Kim. Yeah. He's like, and, and, and you see Ellen break down and start sobbing when he can't give her an answer. Mm-hmm. It just makes you dislike him so much more because he's like, well, actually, yeah, part of me wants to say Kim, but he ends up, you know, she says they'll get past this and start anew. And 
they decide to stay in Bangkok to support Tam because they're not going to split up Tam and Kim. No, they don't. Is that not what happens? No. Okay. So they agree between themselves that they will send money from America where they're going to go back to America and have their own family and their own kids. They will send money to Kim so that Tam can go to American schools in Bangkok, which John says to them is a terrible idea because they're not good schools. And they say, oh, no, well, we can't possibly split up him and his mother, which is all coming from Chris, really, Mm -hmm. being like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not just going to take this kid back with me. And Ellen says, well, John, look at it this way, because John's really mad at both of them. Yeah. She says, look at it this way. She's still in love with him. How am I supposed to live with that if she comes back with us? Like, either that breaks up my marriage or, like, what do I do here? I can't destroy this girl's life. And John's like, you kind of are already. Yeah. And the thing is, it feels like Ellen's completely undone everything she's just been thinking about. She's just like, oh, hey, we'll we'll make it work. But only because she decided to do a good thing yeah. and then Chris was like oh no I don't love her it was just sex I don't care about this woman and Ellen's like okay so why are we helping her then but so, but this is still even after so she has that point before she then asks who do you love mm. and he takes that moment I feel like with Chris there's almost an element of he doesn't want to say he loves Kim because he hasn't seen what Kim looks like yeah, he hasn't seen her again. And it's really cause... easy to be like, well, I love you because I see what you're like now and I know what you're like. What? It's almost like, and perhaps I'm just projecting, perhaps he's just thinking, well, I don't know what, what I'm getting. Put the two of you together and then I'll decide. Yeah, I need to see both of you before I Right, choose. he needs to see what state Kim is in. Yeah. We go to Paper Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, all, they all think that Chris will take them to the USA. No. How have I, have I really yeah, you, misjudged this? Yeah. Okay. So at this point, because while the confrontation is happening, we get this one bit of Kim singing over the top of them. Yeah. Where she's up on a balcony, but it's obviously not. She's yeah. not here. She's making the decision that Ellen, based on what Ellen said, they're never going to take him with them. Yeah. And they're not going to take Tam because that's all she asked of Ellen. She said, to just take my son with you. I don't care what happens to me. But and she's like, as long as you're alive, no. Yeah, Tam needs to be with his mother. So she's like, well, then he needs to not have a mother anymore. Yeah. And she that's when she makes that decision. Okay. It's during that song. So then when the engineer is saying to her, are we all going to America? Are you getting us out of here? She's like, yes, I am. But she's lying. Okay. The only person that's going with them is Tam. Yeah. And the only way that's going to happen is if she dies. Yeah. And she's she's decided that from this point onwards. The American Dream. (laughs) This sequence is phenomenal. This song's great. It goes on for a really long time. It does, but I think we need it given what's about to happen. It needs a little break. Yeah. (laughs) From all the stress. And this is it. This is so inconsequential. Yeah. Like, realistically, this is just a moment of fun after two hours of some really, really downtrodden depressing narrative Mm -hmm. because we're seeing what the engineer feels like his life is going to be he's a rock star and and you know his mannerisms he wants to be elvis yeah he makes all of elvis jokes and it's great his eccentricities are amazing this performance is great uh 
we talk about how he's been influenced by the French and by the Yanks because they've all had control of Vietnam. He's got quite a tragic backstory himself mm -hmm. that his father died and he was forced to sell his mother. Like he's so actually he's as much a victim. And it's really interesting because the whole way through this, he seems like he's the one person exploiting this situation. Mm -hmm. But he's doing the exact same thing the girls are doing as he's in a job where he's doing what he has to do to survive. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting at this point. It's, yeah, it feels really late in the game to bring that in. Yeah. But it's like he's not doing this because he saw an easy way to make money. Yes, he's taking advantage of the girls and taking more of a cut than he should. Yeah. But that's because that's the life he grew up with. Mm. I, Yeah. His Richard Nixon impression was great, you know, where he talks about the Yanks. Um, oh, this line was... Oh, I wrote it down. I'm going to do the, everything he did. And you're going to hate this, so I apologise. But there's a line I wrote down. He says, fresh as a chocolate to care as I <laughs> suck out the cream. Yeah, gross. It, but it was great. But the way... It's like this really slimy character, mm -hmm. but the way it's performed, I, I, I really like this He has this bit. this bit at the beginning of this song where he talks about the French coming along yeah, and how, you know, we all learned French for a bit and that was great and it was fun. And we learned some French tricks. And then he says, and then the French went home and then guess who came along? And he puts the cigar in his mouth and does the double yeah, the v, v sign, sign, which is so funny. Yeah. And then talks about what he learned from the Yanks. Yeah. And basically, which is that lie as much as you want and make as much money as you can. Right. Because who's going to stop you? Yeah. I the way he talks about the things he loves about America, you know, mm -hmm. the, the 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 big fake boobs and the fake butts. I wondered if this song is supposed to be genuine or sarcastic. Like, does he want this or is he mocking what they have and he, he doesn't? He genuinely believes that this is what America's like. Yeah. And he also genuinely believes that when he gets there, he'll be a big guy. Yeah. But at the same time, He's aware of the sort of materialistic ways because yeah. of what his job was before. He knows exactly how to sell these things to people. Yeah. So he's like, hey, look at it. All of these people are materialistic in this country. I'm going to be able to make millions. Yeah, which he won't. No. And like, not at all. He won't stand a chance. No. But that's why I wondered is like, does he know deep down he won't and he's mocking it? Or is this a very genuine it's like, thing? It's genuine, but he's like semi-joking about yeah. some of the things. Yeah. So we get a chorus line emerges on a giant Statue of Liberty head, which is very cool. It's as a really set cool. Piece. The car is really cool. Yeah. I love the bit of the car. And he speaks to the audience. Goes, is this too much? I can, can never, never tell. tell. Yeah. And then we get a projection of a Wizard of Oz money tornado. Yeah, that's cool. He's not getting to Oz. No. And his tornado leaves without him. He's like, but my money, my money, oh. Yeah, and he ends just smoking his cigar. And then he puts it away. Yeah. It's a phenomenal song, and his energy, like, he is a rock star in this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very, very cool. And his performance was phenomenal. I really, really... I don't necessarily like the character, but I like his performance about it. Oh, the performance. John John Briones is a phenomenal performer. Yeah. He's done loads of stuff, but he's particularly great in this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this. We get This Is The Hour. Mm -hmm. Tam is dressed like an American with his cute little Mickey Mouse t-shirt and Converse. Oh, my God. His little Converse. Oh, my God. Right, so <laughs> baby shoes are the cutest thing in the whole world. You know that bit in How I Met Your Mother where he's yeah. like, sock? 
that all the time. Who, whoever decided that babies needed Converse is genius. And the great thing is, we'll say this now, we're broody, but that's not the reason we're getting engaged. There's not going to be no, a third edition to this I'm podcast no anytime soon. I'm having a child right now, but baby <laughs> shoes are the cutest thing Baby in the shoes world. are one of those difficult things where you see them and it's like, oh man, but I want to buy them and see little feet that go into it. No, I'm not interested in the feet, just the shoes. The <laughs> shoes are cute. But yeah, the, you get a sense that there's something foreboding here. You know, it's why we need to have the American Dream as a big set piece that just kind of got us back in a happy frame of mind for this. Mm. So we have, this is the hour, and then we have the finale. All right, we're in the end game now. It felt yeah. very long, but I thought we were going to have a big finale. You know, very similar to um, things like Sweeney Todd or Into the Woods, where the finale is like several songs going back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. It is just a small bit of music. And... Yeah, so everyone arrives. Yeah. And Kim hands Tam to the engineer and is like, take him outside and introduce him to his father. Yeah. She doesn't and... even see Chris. No, she doesn't want to. Yeah, because so she knows what she's got to do. They go and she steps behind the curtain that she normally hides Tam behind and shoots herself in the stomach. Yes. With Chris's gun. Yep. And Chris is like just going to hug Tam when he hears the gunshot and he literally shoved that kid. It's really funny. Obviously not from the perspective of the story, but just from the perspective of us, he's an adult man on a stage with a small child and he basically just chucks Tam to Ellen and Ellen picks him up and is just holding him. But Chris runs in and finds Kim on the floor. Yeah, that's one way to make sure that Chris brings him home. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kim says she wants to be held one last time. Yep. And just before she dies, they kiss right in front of his wife. Yep. And he's devastated, I think. Yeah, he's like screaming her name yeah. and just basically falls apart. But as that happens, a sort of sheer oh, yeah. drop comes down that separates them at the front of the stage from the engineer, Ellen and Tam. Yeah. And Ellen turns her back on them and is just holding Tam. Yeah. But you can see that Tam's watching, yeah. which I think is a very nice touch. Nice touch. And But the way that Ellen... And maybe I'm just looking too too far into this, but the way that Ellen is holding Tam, she's like, oh, this is my child now. Yeah. Like, she's not putting my kid down. Well, but this is the thing is, all that was stopping Tam from being their child was he's got a mum. Yeah. That's not an issue anymore. And it's a, hor- it's a heartbreaking ending. I like that we don't know what happens next because it's Kim's story. You just mm-hmm. know that the curtain's down. And we get my favourite theatrical device, which is just that she dies. Yeah. We don't see that in enough. No. Uh, we, um, we had an extended conversation about this afterwards, but it is... If any of you have ever seen Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium... I have not. It's a great film. We'll watch it at some point. But one of the things that is said in that film is that death is just what it is. Mm. It just happens. It happens all the time. And it's just, if you've lived a long time and you're tired, it's just what it is. And they reference that in King Lear, when Shakespeare wrote King Lear, he didn't give it King Lear a great finale. He didn't give him this big triumphant moment. He's an old man. And he just dies and the quietness of that moment is what makes it tragic and it's the same here kim has lived this whole time trying to get back to chris 
and the only way that she can save her son is to die. Mm. So she dies, and that's it. She just dies. And this is the thing: is we don't get a lot of musicals that end this way. Mm. It, I, I said, "Cheers!" Like, it does make me appreciate "Love Never Dies" a little bit better, like as a bold choice of ending on this note. Mm. It, you know, it's a it's a it's a strong note to end in. Uh, we get the curtain calls and I, I, what I wanted to say I don't often comment on the curtain calls yep however I like that Tam is front and centre as well like despite not having done much he's so pivotal to this yeah having her have a child it feels more real and it feels like the stakes are more important as opposed to her just holding a sack of flour or talking to a fake child that we never see mm-hmm. you know and he doesn't do much he doesn't say any lines most of the time he's just sat there and He's, he's a prop almost. Yeah. To have him front and centre. I, I really liked that, that he gets to have a bow with everyone else. So, yeah. Yep. The end. The end. What is your best song in Miss Saigon? That's a good question. I... I'll tell you what. There's, there's three songs in this yeah. that you hear more than any others, which are Why God Why, Sun and Moon, and... I would give my life for you. Yes. They're probably the three most famous. And also the movie in my mind. Yes. I will add that one on. Because they've been sort of on and off the Do Not Sing list. Yeah. And Why God Why is like a famous guy's audition song. Yeah. Because it gives you a lot of characterization yes. and dramatics and you get to sing loud. Yeah. But I think my favourite song is either If You Want to Die in Bed. Yeah. Or Sun and Moon. Sun and Moon's really pretty. Yeah. Although maybe not. There's a lot of really good songs, but I definitively chose, I don't even have backups, I definitively chose The American Dream. Fair enough. It was the song I enjoyed the most, Mm -hmm. I have to say. There's a, but there are, like you say, phenomenal, heartbreaking, moving songs in this. Yeah. Like the movie in my mind, the reason why it's so famous is because it is so tragic. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some really good moments like that in this mm. but for me the the bit i had the most fun with was the american dream yeah i will say because we're going to get on to mvp in a minute the engineer is my mvp okay well i mean i'll talk about my mvp choice. I'll, I'll talk about my mvp rationale when we get there what's your skip it song and why is it the dragon one i mean the, the dragon one's the dragon. there I, I actually put the revelation there's a lot of songs that are technically on the uh and I could say a lot of songs. There's a lot of songs that seem to be on the soundtrack that aren't songs. Yeah. But the revelation between Chris and John felt like the most noticeable, where it was a song but not a song. They could talk. This could have been a talking scene yes. and it would have been exactly There the is a lot of songs on this that I feel like I could say I would skip because, like I say, we're going to put them in the car. And how much of it is just like... Weird bits of story like Kim's out of nightmare. sequence. Can you imagine listening to that? Yeah. So there's a lot of them like that. I would say, I'd say skip songs. There's going to be loads of them. Mm-hmm. Songs in the style of The Revelation, where there are great bits of storytelling here that are important, but outside of context, mm-hmm. probably aren't going to work. My MVP. So I have two. Mm-hmm. In terms of the emotional arc and in terms of like the point of this story... Yeah. It is Kim. Kim is phenomenal. Obviously. She is 
basically never off stage except for one scene. Yeah. But in terms of just like a character that does so much, like who comes across really unhinged and has these great moments mm-hmm. and excels in a role that could be really horrible and adds like depth, it is the engineer. Yeah. Like, so I have, I have two official MVPs. It's not like I'm saying could be this one, could be this one. They're both MVPs for different reasons. Yeah. I, I don't think this show works if you get rid of the engineer and the same way it doesn't work if you get rid of Kim. You need both of them and you need both of them done well. Yeah. They're equally important. You know, the engineer could be seen as the Thanadius, but he's just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. He's not just his comic relief. There's a lot to his character that you learn about as he goes on. He does have these unhinged mannerisms that you never know where you stand with him. You always feel like you're on the edge of something. Yeah. And it comes down to a phenomenal performance here. Mm-hmm. Uh, role, I guess I can only play Chris. And I would enjoy playing Chris in terms of the, do I want to portray him as a bad guy? Yeah. Or do I want to portray him as this misunderstood character? There'd be some, the, the, he's not just like, he's the only role I, I would go near. Obviously. And I guess like, we, we usually talk about who we want to play. God, the engineer would be a great role to play, but I'm not touching that role. It's not for me. Yeah, we're not going to Jonathan Price this. And I guess it's impossible for you because Ellen is I your only role. I hate Ellen. And there's nothing to her that you can do with her. I honestly think, and I say, I don't say this very often, but if somebody was like, we want you to play Ellen in Miss Saigon. I would be like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I will do anything else. Yeah. I will work backstage. Let me work on the helicopter. That's yeah. a cool thing. Because there are other white female ensemble in this show. Mm. This isn't something we've talked about as we've gone through it. I could not keep track of how many actors there were in this show. Yeah. Because the scene, The Morning of the Dragon... There are like 30 to 50 actors on stage who are all Asian Hmm. playing these Asian characters, which very well done to the casting team on this because that's important. Oh, yeah, they've cast it brilliantly. They haven't got like background, like even the back row of this scene isn't like the other ensemble. They are all Asian actors. From what I can see from watching this, obviously it's a weirdly cut scene. Yeah. But... Then you have scenes like What a Waste, where all the tourists are there, and there's a bunch of white actors playing all the tourists, mm. who I guess were also the GIs at the beginning, yeah. but there's women there too. Mm. So who, what have they been doing yeah. for this whole show? And maybe they just, maybe it works like Cats, and you have a singing ensemble backstage. Possibly. But I have no idea. Yeah. It was just really weird. Yeah. I'm at least lucky in the sense that if somebody said, would you like to play Chris? There is a challenge to this character. Yeah, like, it's really difficult to make that guy likable. Yeah, and, and do you want to make him likable? Do you mm. want to make him that he's tragic and he's just played the cards he's dealt? Yeah, because he kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, before we get to my official rating, mm-hmm. over on Instagram, 78% of people said yes, they are a fan of Miss Saigon. 22% of people saying no, not for them. Joseph Smith reached out to us just in time. Yep. The soundtrack for this show is ingrained in me. I listened to it on repeat for months. It has some of my favourite songs of all time, movies in my mind, Boy... Boy Doi. Boy Doi. 
and I'd give my life for you. I have found the show to be a difficult sell to folks. Just listening to the soundtrack, it seems a bit cheesy. I've seen several productions, including the recent restaging and seen it live where it is at. The power of Kim's song and the second act are just killer. And I am never not moved when I see movie in my mind done live. I mm-hmm. hope you enjoyed this one. There's a lot of good points. And like you say, there's some really good songs. And the second act is is heartbreaking. Yeah. Because you are left kind of feeling optimistic, but not in the same way as one day more, like we said. I think Kim's aware of the struggles. Mm-hmm. But is she, at that point, at the end of act one, is she just nervous? Is she, is she like, if we can get to Bangkok, everything's going to work out. We've just got to get there. Or I don't she... think so. I think yeah. it's more just, we have to get out of here. Yeah. Over on Twitter, 26% of you said it's an okay show. Mm-hmm. 13% said no, just not for me. 61% of people said yes, it's beautiful. And we had some comments for some of our regular contributors. So uh, at the B-Way Ginger, so this is Sally the Broadway Ginger. Oh man, Miss Saigon is incredible. It's definitely in the category of intensely emotional. So I can imagine people who favour more lighthearted stuff not loving it. Mm -hmm. But if you can buy into it and enter into the emotion, it's perfection. I think it's a a fantastic point. This isn't something to sell to somebody who likes your Book of Mormons or Starkid as their primary source of musicals. You know, I feel like... You'd need to have an appreciation for things like Phantom, things like Les Mis. And if you don't like those, you're not going to like Miss Saigon. Mm-hmm. Theatre Flashbacks at Theatre Flashback 1. I absolutely love this show. It's definitely in my top five all-time favourites. So beautiful. The cast in the filmed recording are phenomenal. But I did not like this show the first time I saw it. So persevere if you don't like it it's funny how a show that doesn't grab you initially can become one of your favorites i can't get through this now without bawling my favorite kim has to be the incredible joanna ampill she was stunning my heart broke in 17 places Hmm. at pop culture review i never loved miss saigon the way others do but it introduced leia salonga to me and the world and for that we should always be eternally grateful Mm -hmm. and at O'Shylantis, this is Cheyenne, a.k.a. The Musical Queen. Yes, Daniel Lovett, one of my fave offerings on Broadway HD right now. Hasn't seen the version we watched. I did recommend and advise that we're watching the 25th anniversary show. She said, I haven't seen that one, but I'm sure it's good too. And Cheyenne, I can confirm it is good. I gave this one four stars. Nice. I feel like I'm going to have to really overcoming weeks looking at our lineup justify what is a five-star show and what isn't well i think this is an interesting one because it's not like it's you don't enjoy this the way that you enjoy some shows and for me a five-star show really does have to be i I think if i had i think at my core if i leave it feeling like i want to rewatch it how can that not be a five-star show yeah whereas this is Obviously, it's supposed to make you think about things, but it's so sad. Yeah. And it's important, I feel. Yeah. It's one of those, I feel it's a really important show to watch. But if I wanted to stick a musical on... This wouldn't be your first choice. No. This wouldn't probably be in my top five. I would definitely... And I, I would love it, but... definitely want to go see it live in a theatre. Like Phantom, mm-hmm. I'm left with that feeling of, I want to experience this live. 
Yep. I would recommend if you have never seen this version of the show, you check out the 25th anniversary show. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great show. Would I rewatch it? Maybe down the line. Maybe I would. Best film ever. Talk a lot about the rating system, and Ian's done a great job. Of like you know, he'll talk people or, or, or talk about why why is it a ten? You know, would you back someone out of it? And to give it a perfect rating implies there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. And I've given a lot of shows. I would love to actually go back and just realise what I've given five-star shows to. And I talked about this with the pirate movie. How can I give that more than one star when I compare it to things like High School Musical? And I feel bad because this is an amazing show. But I do think... It's different. There's different ways for shows to get to four stars. And I feel like if I went to see this live, I don't know if I could sit through the full show experience even yeah we had to pause this and take a break because of how draining it is and i also feel there are some lines and some lyrics that still need changing that do need revisions Mm -hmm. and i do think as well some of some of the composition of the songs don't quite work for me yeah i couldn't understand what was going on we've talked this i think it's the first time in a long time i've misunderstood parts of the plot yes so I feel like there are enough gripes to be like, this isn't five stars. It's mm-hmm. so close. I think this is this is a very important show to watch. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. But it doesn't quite hit that perfect top five musical for me. Yeah. What did you think of this version? Because this is the first time you've watched this version. Since it came out. Oh, so you'd seen this version before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, saw, I saw this when it came out. The cinema near where I lived as a kid did a lot of those... Like shown live, yeah, okay. versions of things. So like they would show the Nutcracker from the Royal Opera House and things, and this got shown as one of those ones. And yeah. I went to see it, and I don't remember any of it apparently. Okay, <laughs> so well, you had nice. seen this before. Yeah, okay. I will say we've talked a lot about how much we enjoyed this show, and how well the different ways that we enjoyed it, and the things that need changing, and the things that need updating. But I at the end of this episode, we'd like to take this opportunity to say that we do not support Cameron McIntosh in yeah. any way, shape or form. Um, cast trans women in your shows because having a woman play a woman character is the correct way to cast a woman. Yeah. And also he can go suck an egg and I don't care if he blacklists us. <laughs> no, I... Is there anything of his that you want to see at the moment? Not particularly. No. It's very, very disappointing it's not even disappointing no he just sucks it does suck and and i've seen some really good points where people are like you call this a gimmick but your shows feature a helicopter feature a chandelier that falls on you feature revolving stages how are they not gimmicks yeah currently the main character of mary poppins flies magically over the audience and has a man walk upside down across the roof of the stage how are those not gimmicks we're talking about casting real people here if the only thing that a widespread audience remembers about Miss Saigon is the gimmick of the helicopter, yeah. that's your gimmick. Casting a, ca- a person, a real human person, in a role that fits their gender is irrelevant to your show. But I guess we're talking about Cameron McIntosh, a man who cast a, a white, white man, man to play, play an, an Asian, Asian character. character. Yeah, I, I. this is the difficult thing we have is in the terms that, I mean, you know, it's the same with Phantom. 
they didn't think about the human cost. They cut their orchestra because mm. they think profits over anything else. Yeah. I would love to see Phantom Live. I am. I refuse to go and see Phantom Live mm-hmm. because of that. Yep. And I definitely feel like I would make a make an effort to not see something with Cameron McIntosh's name attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I would love to go and see Carousel, which currently stars a trans female actress yeah. in one of their leading roles. And she's doing an amazing job from what I've seen. And I'm also very pleased that we will be seeing Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which... Has a wonderful diverse cast. Uh, yeah. It's really right? exciting. You know, one of the things... I, you know... It is just time for old men to stop running everything. Yeah, it really is. And I tell you what, looking on Twitter, I'm so overjoyed to see people speaking up and being like, hey, this isn't right. And we'll we'll stand and we'll say this. Mm -hmm. And especially a lot of the current working acting theatre community who run the actual risk of being blacklisted from any Cameron McIntosh show in the future by speaking out against him. Good for you. Yeah. And I hope you get cast in loads more stuff. Yeah, because... because there will be producers out there. There are phenomenal producers. And I'm not going to bring up their names and sully them by even making comparison. Because there are producers out there that work actively to make sure that they have diverse casts. Not just gender, but racially as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there are phenomenal casts out there doing everything they can to make sure things are cast appropriately and diversely. And I see that on Twitter. There are so many passionate producers that are doing it for love of the industry mm-hmm. as opposed to Cameron McIntosh sat in his Scrooge Tower counting his money. Yep. And that's what we need more of. Mm-hmm. And there are so many fantastic people out there that these relics of the past, they'll go. Yeah. Trans women or women, we hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> and and I definitely feel like next week's episode is going to be a very, very, um, a very, very important one for me. And I know. How much are you going to cry in one episode? <laughs> I have to say, I think this is the episode. There's no other episode I've been as excited to cover. Yeah. And I think next episode, and we'll talk about this, because we've gone on a very long time here already. This will be one of our longest episodes ever. Mm-hmm. There isn't, like, multiple shows. Next we've week. talked about important things. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be more coming out in the future that we can add our voices to. Mm-hmm. Next week's show is going to be a completely different show. We're going back to live theatre. We are going to get personal next week, I'm sure, when we do our preamble. We're going to see Frozen live. And I cannot wait. It's so exciting. We're going to the first preview of the show. And it looks incredible. I'm very excited. And, And we'll talk about why this is the episode I'm most excited for to date. Next week, Frozen, as stupid as this sounds is a film, is a property that means a lot to me. And we'll talk about that next week. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll be a very different preamble because it's not like something where, what do you know? Because who doesn't know Frozen at this point? But I'm very, very excited to see this show and to talk about it for no other reason than just this is a a film that means so much to me. Mm -hmm. And you can be involved in that journey next week and... And, and learn about why I'm so excited. Yeah. Until then. Yes, you can get involved in the conversation over on Twitter and Instagram at It's A Musical Pod. And let us know your thoughts on Miss Saigon. Is there any points that you want to defend to me that I didn't quite get? Or is there any extra uh, 
conversations you want us to have on Miss Saigon. Is there anything you want to tell us about Frozen? Let us know. Uh, maybe an American audience that has seen Frozen live on stage. Maybe you're someone in the UK who is excited to see it. Uh, maybe you can get to us in time before we record having seen Frozen uh, live like us. Mm-hmm. But get yourself involved in the conversation. As always, it, it makes us so happy when you're there. Um Shout out to some amazing people, as always, you know, our regular contributors, uh, Joseph Smith. Thank you for, you know, uh, thank you for your, you know, uh, support. We've loved having you be more involved over the past few weeks. Elena, haven't heard from you as much lately because I know you've started a new job. And the few times we've checked in with you, I'm really glad to hear it's going well. Shout out to one of our OG contributors, Jared Good you know, constantly, you know, giving us ideas for new content as well. So thank you. Uh, And thank you to other amazing podcasters that I want to touch on before we do go, because, you know, we've just had a big change in our personal life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, best film ever in their episode covering Kingsman listened and made a big point of saying congratulations to us and thank you. And you can... um, Check out there. There's uh, an episode next week, which should be launching tomorrow, I believe. I'm going to be part of their first ever poetry slam. So you can download that episode and, and maybe give me a vote if I'm the best poem. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spy Hards. I read it. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's more Shakespeare than poetry, but, you know, and, and we're going to have Quiz Night 3 as well. So mm-hmm. I'll be plugging that and you can watch this space and hopefully I'll defend my crown for the best quiz ever night three yeah thank you to ray of not before coffee because you've been contributing on a few of our episodes as well lately and you know we love you you're a fantastic person keep up the good work spy hards you've been fantastic to us as well lately so many of you so thank you to everyone who's part of this journey you can of course find us on a multitude of great uh, platforms apple podcasts on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher Radio, on the Amazon Music app, and on our OG hosts, Podbean. And if you like this show, if you like what we do, head on over to Apple Podcasts or head on over to podchaser.com and leave us a review. And why not check out some of our older episodes in the archives as well. But until then, we'll see you next week, same bat place, same bat channel. Have a magical musical Monday.